John chapter 10. We're going to be starting in verse 22. And I titled this message, Secure in an Insecure World. Anybody out there think that we're maybe we're in a bit of an insecure world right now? I mean, look at all the things that we can't control in life. I mean, we, we live in Florida. It's hurricane season. We have no control over the weather like that, do we? That's just one area. Do we have control over the economy? Do we have control over our politics? Do we have control of what other countries are doing? Do we have control over health? I mean, there's so many things that we have and that you would almost say this world is very insecure. And I, I hate to have be the bearer of bad news because you're coming to church for encouragement, right? But somehow I believe that as we get closer and closer to Jesus' return, probably things aren't going to get any better. We are in an insecure world. But now let me tell you this. As Christ followers, I believe that God wants us to be secure. That we can live in that eye of the storm, so to speak. That we can have peace when others don't have peace. Because we, have, we belong to the Prince of Peace. So don't be discouraged by what's going on. I believe God wants us to be secure no matter what's going on around us. Because we, we can't control all that stuff. But Jesus can. And so we are going to be in God's Word as we're going to be studying it, and uh, we're going to look at four principles about uh, security. So let me just set the stage. Uh, uh, Pastor David Palmazano was teaching last week, and the, actually from chapter 7 through the first part of chapter 10 was dealing when Jesus was in the Jerusalem, and he was there for the uh, festival of the booths or tabernacles, as it was also known. And then he departed there, and it says now he's coming back in verse 22 for the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. So let's just look at verse 22. Then he came, then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple courts walking in Solomon's colonnade. Now the festival of dedication, also known as lights, is what today the Jewish people celebrate as Hanukkah. It's that time of year right around Christmas in December where they celebrate the freedom that they had from this evil king of Syria named Antiochus Epiphanes. Ooh, even his name sounds evil, doesn't it? And he, he desecrated the temple. It was a, this was at about uh, 160 years before the time of Christ. He set up an image of Jupiter, the, the pagan god Jupiter, in the temple he sacrificed a pig on the altar and smeared blood inside the temple. Can you imagine how that just desecrated the temple? But freedom came in the year 164 B.C. from a guy named Judas Maccabees. And it was actually with his brothers. And they, had, they came and they got the Syrians out of there and they cleansed the temple and they lit the, the lampstands again. But they only had enough oil for one day. And those lamps stayed lit, according to uh, tradition, for eight days. It was like a supernatural thing. And that's why they celebrated for eight days. Well, Jesus was here. At this time, they were still celebrating it. And so he was there for that, that festival. And uh, it says it was wintertime, we know, because it was December also. And he was on that temple courts on Solomon's colonnade. Probably because it was in an area that was protected by the temple. It's winter. And it was on the east side of the temple, and from that standpoint, probably the west winds off the Mediterranean may not have reached there, so it was kind of a little protected. Probably it was cold. 
Also, this is the same area that the birth of the church took place. On the day of Pentecost, Peter was preaching on this area. And so this has a lot of significance. Now, let's keep going. Verse 24. The Jews who were there gathered around him, saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Now, we're going to dissect that verse for a moment because there's a lot that we, we miss because we're not reading it in the original language of Greek. The, when it says they gathered around him, in the original language, it means they hemmed him in. They boxed him in. They didn't just gather around like, oh, let's hear what Jesus has to say. No, this, these were not people friendly to Jesus. And by them asking the question, tell us plainly if you're the Messiah, they weren't really wanting to know. They were trying to trap him. He had told them so many times before, and we've even read them as we've gone through the, the book of John here, but they didn't want to believe. They had an agenda. They were trying to trap him in his words. They wanted to somehow get him arrested because he was a threat. See, I think it's really important for all of us because do you ever go through opposition for your Christian faith? Uh, probably a lot of us do, and uh, I think it's important also to know that sometimes people are going to trap you and they're trying to get you to argue. I just, I, I, one thing I've learned is people are a lot more bold online than they are in person. Am I right? Be careful what you respond to, what you say online, because you might just be introducing an argument. If people are not open, you know the best thing we can do? Just be kind. There are people who are sincere, they're open, they want to know more about Jesus, about Christianity, but there are other people who are just looking to pick a fight. And don't go down that road. I think it's important as we see this next thing on the screen is that you can be perfect and still face opposition. Look at Jesus. He was perfect and he faced opposition. Now we're imperfect. Don't you think we're going to face opposition as well? Because what happens is when we are a part of the kingdom of God, it's like we've switched jerseys. We're on a different team now. And there is a team that's against us. The world, the world system is, is trying to, and you look at it, it's all around us. It's part of the insecurity that we have in this world around us is that the enemy does not want us to succeed, does not want the name of Jesus glorified and lifted up. So sometimes people will come against us and what we stand for and believe. And that's part of just what's going on here with Jesus. Let's keep reading, verse 25. And Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you did not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe because you're not my sheep. See, there was many works that Jesus was doing that were testifying. He was actually fulfilling prophecies in Isaiah 35, Isaiah 42, Psalm 146, about the works of the Messiah, such works as uh, the blind eyes opening, the deaf hearing, the lame walking. So Jesus was doing that, but he says, you're not my sheep. It's kind of a continuation of what, he was, what we were reading about last week in, in the first part of uh, John 10 about the shepherd, you know, Jesus is our great shepherd and that uh, he's also the gate of the sheep pen and so forth. But by the way, I have to ask you, do you know what you call a hundred uh, sheep rolling down a hill? 
It's called a lamb slide. <laughs> Make sure you're still with me here. Oh, if you like that, I got more. <laughs> Did you hear about the, the sheep that was arrested out here on Mitten Road? He made an illegal U-turn. Okay, that's enough. I'll get back to the word. So, what's really important is this first point, as we're going to look at four points, is this. Don't prioritize your security in people or things above God. Because we're going to have people that are going to be against us. The world system is against us. And if you're looking for trying to build your security on stuff around you, it's like, when I got everybody that likes me and everybody, you're not going to get it. Not if you're a follower of Jesus. Maybe if you're a worldly person, the world will like you. But don't prioritize your security in things or in people above God. You're going to see, that's where our security is going to come from. If you're going to live in the, in the eye of the storm, so to speak, and you're going to have a peace, it's going to come from that prince of peace who's living in our heart and ruling and reigning in us. And, and there's a, we can use wisdom, and we can try to have security in a lot of different things. I'm not telling you you can't have security systems and protect yourself in various ways and so forth, but never prioritize that above Jesus. Well, let's keep going. Verse 27. It says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. That one verse is packed. We could do a whole sermon on that one verse. Look at the three things. It says, my sheep, so you see it's, it's related to Jesus. These are his sheep. They're not someone else's. There's, there's a relationship. It says that if you're his sheep, it's a test for all of us. These three things. They listen to his voice. And then it says he knows them. In other words, there's a relationship. And the third thing is they follow him. There's obedience. So let's just talk about this for a moment. How do we hear the voice of God? The main way, there's multiple ways, the main way is through the Word of God. This is why we study the Word of God. We go through books of the Bible, verse by verse. This is so important. You know what? As pastors, sometimes there's verses we'd like to skip. Oh, man, you know, people are going to leave the church if I share that. But it's all God's Word. And so we stand on the Word of God. This is how He speaks to us. But He also speaks to us through the still, small voice in our heart. That's the Holy Spirit guiding us. Speaking to us, showing us things. Also, he speaks through us through pastors, spiritual leaders. I hope that God is speaking through me to you today. He also speaks to us through dreams and visions. Now, you've got to be careful with some of these things. Also, he can speak to us through circumstances, even through nature. It tells us that in Romans chapter 1, that people were without excuse and even believing in God because God speaks to us through nature. So a lot of ways that God can speak to us, but the primary way is that. And it says that not only does he speak to us, but he wants a relationship with us. Last week, Pastor David um, Palmzano had Matthew 7 up on the screen. And it said that uh, many are going to say on that last day, Lord, Lord, you know, let us in, so to speak. And he's going to say, you know, I don't know you. They're going to say, well, uh, we did all these great works. We, you know, we did this for you, and we did that for you. We prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. And he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. See, God isn't looking for activity. 
He's looking for relationship. And you're going to see in a moment, our relationship always comes first. Activity comes after that. It flows forth from our relationship. And that's why even in the order that you see it in the uh, chapter, in verse 27, it says we hear his voice, we have relationship, and then we follow him. We obey what he has to say to us. Look at these verses. They're kind of some strong verses, I think, for us because there are people out there who are not true sheep. They may claim to be a sheep, but they're not. They're pretenders, so to speak. Look at Titus 1.16. It says this. They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. So it's not about what we just claim. There should be something, or, 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 there should be something related to our life that's matching more of what, what we are saying about with our relationship with God. And then 1 John 2.3 says... We know that we've come to know him. Remember, back to the relationship, if we keep his commands. So I have this point for us because I think whenever we're talking about works, it's always important that we realize we can't get the cart ahead of the horse, so to speak. We're not saved by our works. And so I wrote it this way. Good works don't save us, but they flow from our relationship with Jesus. Always make sure it's relationship with Jesus first. Religious people will sometimes forget the relationship part, and they focus on the works. Got to do this, got to do this, got to do this. Well, that's religion. And you can be manipulated by man in religion. where Man, man can get you to do certain things. The only thing I'm going to do is point you to Jesus here, point you to his word. I'm not going to manipulate you to get you to do something. So let's keep going. Verse 28. Jesus goes on and says, I, and he's talking about a sheep here. He says, I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. You see there the divinity of Jesus. Over and over in Scripture, Jesus and the Father interchangeable in this situation. They're, they're complete unity. Jesus is God. So here's our second thing is be secure in your relationship with God. You know why you can be secure in your relationship with God? Because you got Jesus got you by the hand. The Father's got you by the hand. I mean, that's better than Allstate. I mean, Allstate may say they have, you're in good hands, but we're in better hands. And so I'm totally 100% secure because I'm in the hands of Jesus. Now, people say, oh, can we, can we jump out of his hands? Well, why do we even ask that question? Why do we want to get out of his hands? But by the way, he says he measured the heavens by the span of his hand. That's pretty big hands, okay? But I think the big question is, is that, and I'm not going to answer it for you because I'm not a theologian like that, People, theologians have argued for hundreds of years, you know, can you, you know, jump out of the hands of God? Can you make this decision, this or that and so forth? Here's the only thing. It boils it down and makes it very simple for all of us. There's only one way to heaven, right? It's through Jesus. And so, you know, either people have a Jesus or they don't have Jesus. And here's what I know is you have Jesus, you're secure. 
And he doesn't say, I will give you eternal life. Go back to the passage. He says, I give them eternal life. They're not going to perish. You know why this is so important? Because if you're at odds with someone, broken relationship, not reconciled, let's say you're in uh, Publix and you see them down at the end of the aisle. What are you going to do? Probably check out early, right? Not going to go down that aisle. Ooh, I'm going to avoid them. I see they're down there. But what if it's somebody you have a great relationship with? You're going to head down there, hug up on each other, going to love up on you. Oh, man, it's great seeing you. Satan does not want us to feel secure in our relationship with God. If he can make you feel insecure, then you don't feel like having a quiet time. You don't feel like you want to serve him. You're going to feel like, oh, God's mad at me. You know, he knows all this. And No, that's Satan. He's trying to always break that security. And I was thinking about this. The picture of security I have is like, you take a child, and when they're, and you know, you, you take them to a store, and we did it with our kids when they were young, and now we do it with our grandkids, especially when we take them out for ice cream. We'll have a, we'll have, we'll take our grandchildren by the hand. There's no way we're going to let them go without us holding their hand in a parking lot with moving cars around. But have you ever pulled into a parking lot and you see a, a two or three year old and you're thinking, where's their parent? They're out there wander, walking around and it's like, I mean, that's, that's a bad situation, right? God's got us by the hand. We are secure and protected, just like we would protect our grandchildren or our children. Now, I have to tell you this. Barb didn't want me to tell you this story, but we're imperfect parents. And... Uh, there was a time when we lived in Iowa when our son Luke was probably about five or six years old. We had driven to church separately. We got home after church, and my wife says, well, where's Luke? And I said, I thought he came home with you. We left our son at church. So we had to go back, look pretty foolish as parents. There he was, waiting for us. And, uh, of course, we only lived about a mile, a mile and a half from the church and so forth. He wasn't, we weren't apart too long. But we're imperfect parents. He's perfect. He says he'd never leave us or forsake us. In fact, look at this verse that contains that part. Deuteronomy 31.6 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. He was talking to the nation of Israel about the enemies of Israel. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. We might, but he won't. So let's be secure in the relationship with God. Now, this is, what, this is what's so hard to understand and get our minds around. The free will of man versus the sovereignty of God. I believe in both of them. And sometimes I think people are trying to reconcile those, and I don't think God's called us to reconcile those two. I believe in both of them. But you know what? Sometimes when we get to heaven, we'll understand these things that maybe don't make a lot of sense to us. So all I know is we're only getting to heaven through Jesus. Let's stay connected to Jesus. Let's not worry and sit there worrying about jumping out of his hands or not, okay? Look at this verse, because I think this is such a powerful verse related to our salvation and the assurance of our salvation. 1 John chapter 5, verse 11 through 13 says this. This is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Whoever has a Son has life. 
Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Doesn't that kind of say it very clearly? Isn't that more clear than I could even say it? You either have Jesus or you don't have Jesus. You have Jesus, you have eternal life. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have eternal life. And look what it says there, the last part I had underlined. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know. That's the key word. So that you may know that you have eternal life. God doesn't want it to be a mystery. You know, you hear these jokes about, you know, when you die, get into the pearly gates and Peter's standing there, why should I let you in, and so forth. I mean, they make for fun little jokes and stories and so forth. They're not biblical. There's only one way we're going to get there. We have the Son. We have Jesus Christ. And, and you don't have to ever doubt about your salvation. Now, if you don't, if you're a pretender, if you claim to know God, but you're not a real sheep, well, we can, we can make that change today. We can pray, and you can make sure today, on this day of July 3rd, 2022, that you settled it once and for all. See, pretenders, they have no change taking place in their life. Their words don't match their actions. They lack relationship. But I do have to say this. Our enemy, you know he's a liar, right? So what does he do with saved people? He tries to get them to believe they're not saved. And what's he do to the unsaved people? He tries to get them to think, you're fine, you're okay. All roads are going to heaven. There's many ways. You're fine. You're a good person. Oh, look at yourself compared to that person. You're way better than them. He tries to give false security to the unsaved, and he tries to take away the security of the saved. That's why Jesus is teaching about his real sheep are secure in his hands. Let's be secure in the hands of Jesus, all right? Now, there are some proofs that I believe that Scripture can give us uh, or, or, of our salvation. This isn't a full list. and Just to help some of you that might still be questioning in your life. First of all, proofs of salvation. The promises that are in Scripture is number one by far. Such verses as as Romans chapter 10 says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you, what? Fill in the rest. Will be saved. Not might. You will be saved. So we can know there's a lot of assurances, of promises in, in Scripture. Next is that once we become a Christian, we should start to feel that our desires are changing. We're changing. We want to please God. Now, it doesn't make us perfect. None of us are perfect. We then, because we are saved, we have the Holy Spirit living in us, and he's convicting us of sin, and he's leading us in our lives. If you can sin, and it doesn't bother you, there's no conviction of the Holy Spirit at all, I think you're in shaky ground. Because I really believe when the Holy Spirit's living in you, the Scripture teaches us that, and we'll get to it when we get, I think, into John 16, He convicts us of sin. That's one of His roles. And so I, I, I think that, you know, sometimes people, I've heard this said before, is that if you're trying to straddle the fence, so to speak, got one foot in the world, one foot, foot in the kingdom of God, you got too much of the world to be happy in the kingdom of God, you got too much of the kingdom of God in you to be happy in the world. Now, I really don't know where that fence is at and how you straddle that and so forth. All I know is be all in for the kingdom of God. 
settle it once and for all. So here, here's our next thing, and I like to share this because it's so important when we talk about uh, works and so forth. I don't ever want people to think that we're somehow in a works relationship with God, but here's this. Gratitude to Jesus should guide our living. If you're truly saved, you're going to be thankful for what he's done for you, and it's going, to, it's going to help you as you live your life and what you do with your life, whether you're a giver or a taker, whether you serve or just waiting to be served. It's going to change you because of your gratitude to Jesus. You're going to want to serve the Lord. Well, let's keep going. Verse 31. Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. Now, we've read that before, haven't we? They're always picking up these stones. It just seems like they're a little stone happy here. But Jesus said to them, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We're not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. They knew what Jesus was saying. Now, the cults don't seem to understand this, do they? They say things like, well, you know, Jesus never said he was God. The Bible does not say that he was God. Now, look at this here. The enemies of Jesus knew what he was saying, and they knew the original language. They could understand what he was saying, and they were ready to stone him because he was making this claim about being God. So there was no question for these people. Verse 34, and Jesus answered them, is it not written in your law? I have said, and now Jesus is going to quote part of Psalm 82. He says, I have said you are God's. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be set aside, what about the one whom the Father set apart from his very own and sent into the world? Why then you, do you accuse me of blasphemy? Because I said, I am God's son. Now that's a little bit hard to understand. I had to really do some studying on this one. What is, what is this Jesus saying there? He's saying, you guys are inconsistent. You believe the word of God. It can't be set aside. You, you know Psalm 82. And in Psalm 82, God's words called the earthly judges gods. Little g, gods. Why were the earthly judges called gods? Because they were carrying out judgment. They were carrying out different uh, verdicts against people using the principles, the law of God. So they had people's destiny in their hands like, like a God. And so the scripture called these earthly judges gods. And what Jesus is saying, you have those people that you know are called gods. Here I come with all my works. And I say I'm the son of God. And, and yet you say it's blasphemy. He was just trying to show them their inconsistency. But I think there's something really important here as you look at verse 35. And Jesus, I don't want you to miss what Jesus said there. He said, Scripture cannot be set aside. You should underline that if you, if, in your Bibles. That is so important. Which lends itself to our third thing about being secure. We need to be secure in God's Word. That's where our security it, it, we are secure in the hands of God, in our relationship with Him, in other words, but we're secure in the Word of God. It can't be set aside. And I, I have some things up on the screen that, as we think about the Word of God, they're so important for us, because I know some of you come from different backgrounds. 
First of all, the Bible, we believe, is all inspired by God. Forty different authors wrote over 1,500 years, three different languages. Consistency from Genesis to Revelation. It's all inspired. So these 40 different authors may have penned it, but it was the Holy Spirit showing them exactly what to write. Now, I'm, I'm going to give you a little bit of a warning here, because there are churches that are out there today who have, they will open up a Bible, and they will stand before their people, and they will say, this contains the Word of God. Now, anytime you hear a pastor say, the Bible contains the Word of God, you might want to know a little bit more about what do they really mean. Because you know what many of them mean when they say that? Some verses are the Word of God, and some verses are not. It contains it. And who, who's deciding what's the Word of God and what's not? Them. Their, their, their whatever church or whatever. No, we believe it's all the Word of God. Very different language than it contains the Word of God. It's all the Word of God. It's inspired by God. It's without error. That's the second part up there. Why is that? Well, people tell you all the time, oh, you know, it's been changed over the years, all these different translations. You know you can't trust it and all this kind of stuff. Well, you know, there was a discovery in the 1940s in Israel, in Qumran, Israel. It's one of the places that we'll be going to next year. If you go with uh, us to Israel, they found the Dead Sea Scrolls. Most of the Old Testament was found in these clay jars that were preserved, these uh, scrolls. And they found the whole book of Isaiah that was written over 200 years before the time of Jesus. And Isaiah has so many prophecies. And they compared what we had at that time in the book of Isaiah and compared it to what was in the Dead Sea Scrolls. And there was only minute little things that, that were different, but nothing that we lost the meaning of. You know what God said? Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word's going to stand forever. If you can believe a God who created the earth, raised Jesus from the dead, can't you believe that he can also protect his word? We have not. It, we, it's without error. And the third thing is, it's the final authority. We would never place any of man's writings or church's edicts or whatever equal to or above the Word of God. The Word of God is the final authority. Not our culture, not any political party. The Word of God is the final authority. That's what we base our lives on. So you can be secure in the Word of God. You get outside the Word of God, now what you have is man's interpretation, man's ideas and opinions and so forth. Let's keep going. Verse 37. Do not believe me unless I do the works of my Father. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. What is Jesus saying there? He's saying, I've made a lot of claims. You, you may not believe my claims, but you see very visible the works that I'm doing. These works of healing the blind and the deaf and the lame and, and, and all this type of stuff that he's doing. And in the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about even a bigger one. He's saying, if you don't believe, believe the works. And what's important is you see that the Father is in Jesus and Jesus is in the Father, that unity, part of the Trinity there. Now, I was really thinking about this. I was thinking, what, what, how does this relate? Can I give an analogy of today? 
Well, I tell you what, when I like to shop, I like to do it online. Any online shoppers out there? I don't really care to go to a store. And I love where I, a lot of stuff I can get next day. So, But here's the thing. I will do a little research, too. So I see a company has a product they're selling that I want, and I read their claims, their information. But then I take it one step further. I want to look at the verified customer reviews. Anybody like that out there? I want to see what do people say about it. Do the claims match up with, with uh, the real-life uh, uh, experience of customers? So that's what Jesus is saying right here. Look at the reviews. Look at the works that I'm doing. If you, can, if you can see these things, don't you think my claims are actually true? Because if you buy a product and you say, man, they have a lot of great experience about it, it must be right. One just recent one that we did, I didn't share this in other services, but man, I've been watching these things about these Giza dream sheets. Anybody seen the Giza dream Man, we got to have those. Best night's sleep ever. Yeah, you read. We got them. Love my new sheets. Oh, man. And I don't get a cut off of any of that stuff, too. But um, they're not cheap, but they are very nice sheets. So here's the thing. Uh, You can see it on the screen. The works of Jesus verify his words. And throughout the Bible, we see the works of Jesus and it should help us to understand the words that go along with it. Now let's keep going. Verse 39 says, And they tried to seize him, but he escaped through their grasp. You know, that happened in other times too, where they tried to, to take Jesus down. They tried to arrest him and, and stone him or do whatever, but they couldn't. He escaped their grasp. I remember one time in Scripture, they were ready to throw him over a hill. And he just slipped through the crowd, it says. Which leads us to our last point of the four for related to be secure in an insecure world. And that, that's this. Be secure in God's timing and protection. It wasn't Jesus' time yet. Now, there would come in a few months later. We're going to get there when we get to uh, Jesus in that final week before the, the uh, crucifixion. He laid his life down. He allowed himself to be arrested because it was the right time. This wasn't the right time. And I like this verse in 2 Thessalonians 3.3. 3. It says, But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. I don't know about you, but why do we fear? Do we believe the word of God? And we talk about standing on the word of God, being secure in the word of God. Right here it tells us he's faithful. We can know that he's going to strengthen us and he is going to protect us from the evil one. Why is that helpful? Because I don't have to live my life in fear. I don't have to limit what I do in life like, oh, I can't do that because I'm, I'm afraid. You know, first time when we went to Israel, I remember people telling us, you're going to Israel? Why are you going to Israel? That's too dangerous over there. You know, and I, and I, I've started telling people this. I said, you know what? You're safer in Israel in the will of God than you are out on I-95 outside the will of God. Am I right? And you may be even safer in Israel outside the will of God than you are on I-95. I don't know. (laughs) It's a dangerous place, too. But 
We have to trust that God is protecting us. If we're his children, if he's his sheep, he's on the control switch. He's not going to be sleeping at the wheel. Now, we don't want to do anything foolish. We don't want to take life into our own hands and do things outside of his will. But the important thing is staying in the will of God and then just trusting him. Don't live in fear. Now, there will come a time when every one of us will at some point in time depart unless the Lord comes back in our lifetime. The Bible says there's a day to be born and a day to die. I don't know what that day that is, but why do I want to live my life in fear until that day comes? And if it comes next week or if it comes 40 years from now, let him decide that. You be faithful and trust that he is faithful. Amen? Amen. Verse 40. Then Jesus went back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing in the early days. There he stayed. And many people came to him, and they said, Though John never performed a sign, all that John said about this man was true. And in that place, many believed in Jesus. You know, uh, it's interesting there what the people were saying about John the Baptist. In uh, Matthew 11, Jesus said, There's no greater prophet born among women than John. But look what it says there. John didn't do any signs. He didn't do any miracles. That actually gives me great hope. You know, God's not calling for us to be superstar Christians, doing all these miracles and so forth. What was the ministry of John? Pointing people to Jesus. And you see the last point up on the screen is our greatest ministry is pointing people to Jesus. Not to this church, not to a pastor, pointing people to Jesus. It's all about a relationship with Jesus. He's the one who's the source of our security. He's the one who gives us our salvation. He's the one who gives us wisdom for living our life. Everything is about him. We point people to Jesus and then watch him work. Watch him change. I've been a follower of Jesus now for 41 years and I've seen God do one thing after another in my life and how he's used me and so forth, but I know it's not me. I hope I'm not up here in my own strength and power today. That it's all about Jesus. Not ever drawing attention to ourselves. It's always about him. We're going to pray. In a moment, we're going to take communion. And communion is to remember what Jesus did for us. And uh, if you're not a believer yet in Jesus, I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray here in a moment. Don't take communion if you're not a follower of Jesus. But let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you that uh, you want us to be secure in our relationship with you, that we're in your hands and we're in the hands of Jesus. Help us to be more and more on fire for you. Help us to abide in you, Lord Jesus, as we seek more and more to know you in relationship and that our relationship with you always comes ahead of our serving of you. Help us to trust your word, to base our life on your word, that you, you validated your word even with miracles. And Lord, give us that ministry of pointing people to Jesus, that you've put us in this world for such a time as this, and you've put people around us to point people to Jesus. Help us to be on mission. And while heads are bowed, I'm just going to ask those of you that, that, are, that are not secure, you're not maybe sure if you have a relationship with Jesus, or you've wandered away some way, 
and you want to pray, you want to invite Jesus Christ to be, you want to surrender your life to Jesus today, I'm just going to ask that you raise your hand up high. I'm going to pray for you right there in your seat. Just raise your hand up high. So I look around. You're not joining the church. We don't even have membership here. You're saying yes to Jesus. I need that type of relationship with Jesus. Okay? Others. In the balcony. You're saying yes to Jesus right now. The Holy Spirit's speaking to you, saying, I know I need to raise my hand up. I need, yes, okay, another one. Others. Okay, you can put your hands down, okay? Good. Let me just lead you in this prayer. It's not about the exact words of this prayer, but it's about the meaning of it in your heart to the Lord. Just pray this under your breath. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus. Jesus, thank you for going to the cross for my sins and raising from the dead. I put my faith and trust in you. Forgive me now of all my sins. I want to be your sheep, and you be my shepherd. And I want to follow you in relationship from this day forward. So send your Holy Spirit to live in me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Getting into John chapter 10. We're going to be starting in verse 22. And I titled this message, Secure in an Insecure World. Anybody out there think that we're maybe we're in a bit of an insecure world right now? I mean, look at all the things that we can't control in life. I mean, we we live in Florida. It's hurricane season. We have no control over the weather like that, do we? That's just one area. Do we have control over the economy? Do we have control over our politics? Do we have control of what other countries are doing? Do we have control over health? I mean, there's so many things that we have and that you would almost say this world is very insecure. And I, I hate to have be the bearer of bad news because you're coming to church for encouragement, right? But somehow I believe that as we get closer and closer to Jesus' return, probably things aren't going to get any better. We are in an insecure world. But now let me tell you this. As Christ followers, I believe that God wants us to be secure. That we can live in that eye of the storm, so to speak. That we can have peace when others don't have peace. Because we, have, we belong to the Prince of Peace. So don't be discouraged by what's going on. I believe God wants us to be secure no matter what's going on around us because we we can't control all that stuff. But Jesus can. And so we are going to be in God's Word as we're going to be studying it. And uh, we're going to look at four principles about uh, security. So let me just set the stage. Uh, uh, Pastor David Palmazano was teaching last week. And actually from chapter 7 through the first part of chapter 10 was dealing when Jesus was in the Jerusalem and he was there for the uh, festival of the booths or tabernacles as it was also known. And then he departed there and it says now he's coming back in verse 22 for the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. So let's just look at verse 22. Then he came, then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter 
And Jesus was in the temple courts walking in Solomon's colonnade. Now, the festival of dedication, also known as lights, is what today the Jewish people celebrate as Hanukkah. It's that time of year right around Christmas in December where they celebrate the freedom that they had from this evil king of Syria named Antiochus Epiphanes, who even his name sounds evil, doesn't it? And he, he desecrated the temple. It was a, this was at about uh, 160 years before the time of Christ. He set up an image of Jupiter, the, the pagan god Jupiter, in the temple. He sacrificed a pig on the altar and smeared blood inside the temple. Can you imagine how that just desecrated the temple? But freedom came in the year 164 B.C. from a guy named Judas Maccabees. And it was actually with his brothers. And they, had, they came and they got the Syrians out of there and they cleansed the temple and they lit the, the lampstands again. But they only had enough oil for one day. And those lamps stayed lit, according to uh, tradition, for eight days. It was like a supernatural thing. And that's why they celebrated for eight days. Well, Jesus was here. At this time, they were still celebrating it. And so he was there for that, that festival. And uh, it says it was wintertime, we know, because it was December also. And he was on that temple courts on Solomon's colonnade. Probably because it was in an area that was protected by the temple. It's winter. And it was on the east side of the temple, and from that standpoint, probably the west winds off the Mediterranean may not have reached there, so it was kind of a little protected. Probably it was cold. Also, this is the same area that the birth of the church took place. On the day of Pentecost, Peter was preaching on this area, and so this has a lot of significance. Now, let's keep going. Verse 24. The Jews who were there gathered around him, saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Now, we're going to dissect that verse for a moment because there's a lot that we, we miss because we're not reading it in the original language of Greek. The, when it says they gathered around him, in the original language, it means they hemmed him in. They boxed him in. They didn't just gather around like, oh, let's hear what Jesus has to say. No, this, these were not... People friendly to Jesus. And by them asking the question, tell us plainly if you're the Messiah, they weren't really wanting to know. They were trying to trap him. He had told them so many times before, and we've even read them as we've gone through the, the book of John here, but they didn't want to believe. They had an agenda. They were trying to trap him in his words. They wanted to somehow get him arrested because he was a threat. See, I think it's really important for all of us because do you ever go through opposition for your Christian faith? Uh, probably a lot of us do. And uh, I think it's important also to know that sometimes people are going to trap you and they're trying to get you to argue. I just, I, I have, one thing I've learned is people are a lot more bold online than they are in person. Am I right? Be careful what you respond to, what you say online, because you might just be introducing an argument. If people are not open, you know the best thing we can do? Just be kind. There are people who are sincere, they're open, they want to know more about Jesus, about Christianity, but there are other people who are just looking to pick a fight. And don't go down that road. I think it's important as we see this next thing on the screen is that you can be perfect and still face opposition. Look at Jesus. 
He was perfect, and he faced opposition. Now, we're imperfect. Don't you think we're going to face opposition as well? Because what happens is when we are a part of the kingdom of God, it's like we've switched jerseys. We're on a different team now. And there is a team that's against us. The world, the world system is, is trying to... And you look at it, it's all around us. It's part of the insecurity that we have in this world around us is that the enemy does not want us to succeed, does not want the name of Jesus glorified and lifted up. So sometimes people will come against us and what we stand for and believe. And that's part of just what's going on here with Jesus. Let's keep reading, verse 25. And Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you did not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe because you're not my sheep. See, there was many works that Jesus was doing that were testifying. He was actually fulfilling prophecies in Isaiah 35, Isaiah 42, Psalm 146, about the works of the Messiah, such works as uh, the blind eyes opening, the deaf hearing, the lame walking. So Jesus was doing that, but he says, you're not my sheep. It's kind of a continuation of what, he was, what we were reading about last week in, in the first part of uh, John 10 about the shepherd. You know, Jesus is our great shepherd, and that uh, he's also the gate of the sheep pen and so forth. But by the way, I have to ask you, do you know what you call a hundred uh, sheep rolling down a hill? It's called a lamb slide. <laughs> Make sure you're still with me here. Oh, if you like that, I got more. <laughs> Did you hear about the, the sheep that was arrested out here on Mitten Road? He made an illegal U-turn. <laughs> okay, that's enough. I'll get back to the word. So... What's really important is this first point, as we're going to look at four points, is this. Don't prioritize your security in people or things above God. Because we're going to have people that are going to be against us. The world system is against us. And if you're looking to, for trying to build your security on stuff around you, it's like, when I got everybody that likes me and everybody, you're not going to get it. Not if you're a follower of Jesus. Maybe if you're a worldly person, the world will like you. But don't prioritize your security in things or in people above God. You're going to see, that's where our security is going to come from. If you're going to live in the, in the eye of the storm, so to speak, and you're going to have a peace, it's going to come from that Prince of Peace who's living in our heart and ruling and reigning in us. And, and, and there's a, we can use wisdom and we can try to have security in a lot of different things. I'm not telling you you can't have security systems and protect yourself in various ways and so forth. But never prioritize that above Jesus. Well, let's keep going. Verse 27. It says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. That one verse is packed. We could do a whole sermon on that one verse. Look at the three things. It says, my sheep, so you see it's, it's related to Jesus. These are his sheep. They're not someone else's. There's, there's a relationship. It says that if you're his sheep, this is a test for all of us, these three things. They listen to his voice. And then it says he knows them. In other words, there's a relationship. And the third thing is they follow him. There's obedience. 
So let's just talk about this for a moment. How do we hear the voice of God? The main way, and there's multiple ways, the main way is through the Word of God. This is why we study the Word of God. We go through books of the Bible, verse by verse. This is so important. You know what? As pastors, sometimes there's verses we'd like to skip. Oh, man, you know, people are going to leave the church if I share that. But it's all God's Word. And so we stand on the Word of God. This is how He speaks to us. But He also speaks to us through the still, small voice in our heart. That's the Holy Spirit guiding us. Speaking to us, showing us things. Also, he speaks through us through pastors, spiritual leaders. I hope that God is speaking through me to you today. He also speaks to us through dreams and visions. Now, you've got to be careful with some of these things. Also, he can speak to us through circumstances, even through nature. It tells us that in Romans chapter 1, that people were without excuse and even believing in God because God speaks to us through nature. So a lot of ways that God can speak to us, but the primary way is that. And it says that not only does he speak to us, but he wants a relationship with us. Last week, Pastor David um, Palmzano had Matthew 7 up on the screen. And it said that uh, many are going to say on that last day, Lord, Lord, you know, let us in, so to speak. And he's going to say, you know, I don't know you. They're going to say, well, uh, we did all these great works. We know we did this for you, and we did that for you. We prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. And he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. See, God isn't looking for activity. He's looking for relationship. And you're going to see in a moment, our re- relationship always comes first. Activity comes after that. It flows forth from our relationship. And that's why even in the order that you see it in the uh, chapter in verse 27, it says we hear his voice, we have relationship, and then we follow him. We obey what he has to say to us. Look at these verses. They're kind of some strong verses, I think, for us because there are people out there who are not true sheep. They may claim to be a sheep, but they're not. They're pretenders, so to speak. Look at Titus 1.16. It says this. They claim to know God. But by their actions, they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. So it's not about what we just claim. There should be something, or, 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 there should be something related to our life that's matching more of what, what we are saying about with our relationship with God. And then 1 John 2, 3 says, we know that we've come to know him. Remember, back to the relationship if we keep his commands. So I have this point for us because I think whenever we're talking about works, it's always important that we realize we can't get the cart ahead of the horse, so to speak. We're not saved by our works. And so I wrote it this way. Good works don't save us, but they flow from our relationship with Jesus. Always make sure it's relationship with Jesus first. Religious people will sometimes forget the relationship part, and they focus on the works. Got to do this, got to do this, got to do this. Well, that's religion. And you can be manipulated by man in religion. where Man, man can get you to do certain things. The only thing I'm going to do is point you to Jesus here, point you to his word. I'm not going to manipulate you to get you to do something. So let's keep going. Verse 28. Jesus goes on and says, I, and he's talking about a sheep here. He says, I give them eternal life. 
and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. You see there the divinity of Jesus. Over and over in Scripture, Jesus and the Father, interchangeable in this situation. They're they're complete unity. Jesus is God. So here's our second thing is be secure in your relationship with God. You know why you can be secure in your relationship with God? Because you got Jesus got you by the hand. The Father's got you by the hand. I mean, that's better than Allstate. I mean, Allstate may say they have, you're in good hands, but we're in better hands. And so I'm totally 100% secure because I'm in the hands of Jesus. Now, people say, oh, can we, can we jump out of his hands? Well, why do we even ask that question? Why do we want to get out of his hands? But by the way, he says he measured the heavens by the span of his hand. That's pretty big hands, okay? But I think the big question is, is that, and I'm not going to answer it for you because I'm not a theologian like that. People, theologians have argued for hundreds of years, you know, can you, you know, jump out of the hands of God? Can you make this decision, this or that and so forth? Here's the only thing. It boils it down and makes it very simple for all of us. There's only one way to heaven, right? It's through Jesus. And so... You know, either people have a Jesus or they don't have Jesus. And here's what I know is you have Jesus, you're secure. And he doesn't say, I will give you eternal life. Go back to the passage. He says, I give them eternal life. They're not going to perish. You know why this is so important? Because if you're at odds with someone, broken relationship, not reconciled. Let's say you're in uh, Publix and you see them down at the end of the aisle. What are you going to do? Probably check out early, right? Not going to go down that aisle. Ooh, I'm going to avoid them. I see they're down there. But what if it's somebody you have a great relationship with? You're going to head down there, hug up on each other, going to love up on you. Oh, man, it's great seeing you. Satan does not want us to feel secure in our relationship with God. If he can make you feel insecure, then you don't feel like having a quiet time. You don't feel like you want to serve him. You're going to feel like, oh, God's mad at me. You know, he knows all this. And No, that's Satan. He's trying to always break that security. And I, I was thinking about this. The, the picture of security I have is like you take a child, and when they're, and, you know, you, you take them to a store. And we did it with our kids when they were young, and now we do it with our grandkids, especially when we take them out for ice cream. We'll, have a, we'll, have, we'll take our grandchildren by the hand. There's no way we're going to let them go without us holding their hand in a parking lot with moving cars around. But have you ever pulled into a parking lot and you see a, a two or three year old and you're thinking, where's their parent? They're out there wander, walking around and it's like, I mean, that's, that's a bad situation, right? God's got us by the hand. We are secure and protected, just like we would protect our grandchildren or our children. Now, I have to tell you this. Barb didn't want me to tell you this story, but we're imperfect parents. And uh, there was a time when we lived in Iowa when our son Luke was probably about five or six years old. We had driven to church separately. We got home after church, and my wife says, well, where's Luke? And I said, I thought he came home with you. 
we left our son at church. So we had to go back, look pretty foolish as parents. There he was, waiting for us. And uh, of course, we only lived about a mile, mile and a half from the church and so forth. He wasn't, we weren't apart too long. But we're imperfect parents. He's perfect. He says he'd never leave us or forsake us. In fact, look at this verse that contains that part. Deuteronomy 31.6 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. He was talking to the nation of Israel about the enemies of Israel. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. We might, but he won't. So let's be secure in the relationship with God. Now, this is, what, this is what's so hard to understand and get our minds around. The free will of man versus the sovereignty of God. I believe in both of them. And sometimes I think people are trying to reconcile those, and I don't think God's called us to reconcile those two. I believe in both of them. But you know what? Sometimes when we get to heaven, we'll understand these things that maybe don't make a lot of sense to us. So all I know is we're only getting to heaven through Jesus. Let's stay connected to Jesus. Let's not worry and sit there worrying about jumping out of his hands or not, okay? Look at this verse, because I think this is such a powerful verse related to our salvation and the assurance of our salvation. 1 John chapter 5, verse 11 through 13 says this. This is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has a Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Doesn't that kind of say it very clearly? Isn't that more clear than I could even say it? You either have Jesus or you don't have Jesus. You have Jesus, you have eternal life. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have eternal life. And look what it says there, the last part I, I had underlined. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know. That's the key word. So that you may know that you have eternal life. God doesn't want it to be a mystery. You know, you hear these jokes about, you know, when you die, getting to the pearly gates and Peter's standing there, why should I let you in and so forth. I mean, they make for fun little jokes and stories and so forth. They're not biblical. There's only one way we're going to get there. We have the Son. We have Jesus Christ. And, and you don't have to ever doubt about your salvation. Now, if you don't, if you're a pretender, if you claim to know God, but you're not a real sheep, well, we can, we can make that change today. We can pray, and you can make sure today, on this day of July 3rd, 2022, that you settled it once and for all. See, pretenders, they have no change taking place in their life. Their words don't match their actions. They lack relationship. But I do have to say this. Our enemy, you know he's a liar, right? So what does he do with saved people? He tries to get them to believe they're not saved. And what's he do to the unsaved people? He tries to get them to think, you're fine, you're okay. All roads are going to heaven. There's many ways. You're fine. You're a good person. Oh, look at yourself compared to that person. You're way better than them. He tries to give false security to the unsaved, and he tries to take away the security of the saved. That's why Jesus is teaching about his real sheep are secure in his hands. Let's be secure in the hands of Jesus, all right? Now, there are some proofs that I believe that Scripture can give us uh, or, or, of our salvation. This isn't a full list. and Just to help some of you that might 
still be questioning in your life. First of all, proofs of salvation. The promises that are in Scripture is number one by far. Such verses as, as Romans chapter 10 says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you, what? Fill in the rest. Will be saved. Not might. You will be saved. So we can know there's a lot of assurances of promises in, in Scripture. Next is that once we become a Christian, we should start to feel that our desires are changing. We're changing. We want to please God. Now, it doesn't make us perfect. None of us are perfect. We then, because we are saved, we have the Holy Spirit living in us, and he's convicting us of sin, and he's leading us in our lives. If you can sin and it doesn't bother you, there's no conviction of the Holy Spirit at all, I think you're in shaky ground. Because I really believe when the Holy Spirit's living in you, the Scripture teaches us that, and we'll get to it when we get, I think, into John 16, He convicts us of sin. That's one of His roles. And so I, I, I think that, you know, sometimes people, uh, I've heard this said before, is that if you're trying to straddle the fence, so to speak, got one foot in the world, one foot, foot in the kingdom of God, you got too much of the world to be happy in the kingdom of God, you got too much of the kingdom of God in you to be happy in the world. Now, I really don't know where that fence is at and how you straddle that and so forth. All I know is be all in for the kingdom of God. Settle it once and for all. So here, here's our next thing, and I like to share this because it's so important when we talk about uh, works and so forth. I don't ever want people to think that we're somehow in a works relationship with God, but here's this. Gratitude to Jesus should guide our living. If you're truly saved, you're going to be thankful for what he's done for you, and it's going, to, it's going to help you as you live your life and what you do with your life, whether you're a giver or a taker, whether you serve or just waiting to be served. It's going to change you because of your gratitude to Jesus. You're going to want to serve the Lord. Well, let's keep going. Verse 31. Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. And we've read that before, haven't we? They're always picking up these stones. It just seems like they're a little stone happy here. But Jesus said to them, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We're not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. They knew what Jesus was saying. Now, the cults don't seem to understand this, do they? They say things like, well, you know, Jesus never said he was God. The Bible does not say that he was God. Now, look at this here. The enemies of Jesus knew what he was saying, and they knew the original language. They could understand what he was saying, and they were ready to stone him because he was making this claim about being God. So there was no question for these people. Verse 34, and Jesus answered them, is it not written in your law, I have said, and now Jesus is going to quote part of Psalm 82. He says, I have said, you are gods. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be set aside, what about the one whom the Father set apart from his very own and sent into the world? Why then you, do you accuse me of blasphemy? Because I said, I am God's son. 
And that's a little bit hard to understand. I had to really do some studying on this one. What is, what is this Jesus saying there? He's saying, you guys are inconsistent. You believe the word of God. It can't be set aside. You, you know Psalm 82. And in Psalm 82, God's words called the earthly judges gods. Little g, gods. Why were the earthly judges called gods? Because they were carrying out judgment. They were carrying out different uh, verdicts against people using the principles, the law of God. So they had people's destiny in their hands like, like a god. And so the scripture called these earthly judges gods. And what Jesus is saying, you have those people that you know or call gods. Here I come with all my works. And I say I'm the son of God. And, and yet you say it's blasphemy. He was just trying to show them their inconsistency. But I think there's something really important here as you look at verse 35. And Jesus, I don't want you to miss what Jesus said there. He said, Scripture cannot be set aside. You should underline that if you, if in your Bibles. That is so important. Which lends itself to our third thing about being secure. We need to be secure in God's Word. That's where our security it, it, we are secure in the hands of God, in our relationship with him, in other words, but we're secure in the word of God. It can't be set aside. And I, I have some things up on the screen that as we think about the word of God, they're so important for us because I know some of you come from different backgrounds. First of all, the Bible, we believe, is all inspired by God. Forty different authors wrote over 1,500 years, three different languages. Consistency from Genesis to Revelation. It's all inspired. So these 40 different authors may have penned it, but it was the Holy Spirit showing them exactly what to write. Now, I'm, I'm going to give you a little bit of a warning here. Because there are churches that are out there today who have, they will open up a Bible and they will stand before their people and they will say, this contains the Word of God. Now, anytime you hear a pastor say, the Bible contains the Word of God, you might want to know a little bit more about what do they really mean. Because you know what many of them mean when they say that? Some verses are the Word of God and some verses are not. It contains it. And who, who's deciding what's the Word of God and what's not? Them. They're whatever church or whatever. No, we believe it's all the Word of God. Very different language than it contains the Word of God. It's all the Word of God. It's inspired by God. It's without error. That's the second part up there. Why is that? Well, people tell you all the time, oh, you know, it's been changed over the years, all these different translations. You know you can't trust it and all this kind of stuff. Well, you know there was a discovery in the 1940s in Israel, in Qumran, Israel is one of the places that we'll be going to next year. If you go with uh, us to Israel, they found the Dead Sea Scrolls. Most of the Old Testament was found in these clay jars that were preserved, these uh, scrolls. And they found the whole book of Isaiah that was written over 200 years before the time of Jesus. And Isaiah has so many prophecies. And they compared what we had at that time in the book of Isaiah and compared it to what was in the Dead Sea Scrolls. And there was only minute little things that, that were different, but nothing that we lost the meaning of. You know what God said? Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word's going to stand forever. 
If you can believe a God who created the earth, raised Jesus from the dead, can't you believe that he can also protect his word? We have not. It, we, it's without error. And the third thing is, it's the final authority. We would never place any of man's writings or church's edicts or whatever equal to or above the word of God. The word of God is the final authority. Not our culture, not any political party. The word of God is the final authority. That's what we base our lives on. So you can be secure in the word of God. You get outside the word of God, now what you have is man's interpretation, man's ideas and opinions and so forth. Let's keep going. Verse 37. Do not believe me unless I do the works of my Father. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. What is Jesus saying there? He's saying, I've made a lot of claims. You, you may not believe my claims, but you see very visible the works that I'm doing. These works of healing the blind and the deaf and the lame and, and, and all this type of stuff that he's doing. And, and next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about even a bigger one. He's saying, if you don't believe, believe the works. And what's important is you see that the Father is in Jesus and Jesus is in the Father, that unity. Part of the Trinity there. Now, I was really thinking about this. I was thinking, what, what, how does this relate? Can I give an analogy of today? Well, I tell you what. When I like to shop, I like to do it online. Any online shoppers out there? I don't really care to go to a store. And I love where I, a lot of stuff I can get next day. So, But here's the thing. I will do a little research, too. So I see a company has a product they're selling that I want, and I read their claims, their information. But then I take it one step further. I want to look at the verified customer reviews. Anybody like that out there? I want to see what do people say about it. Do the claims match up with, with the, the real-life uh, experience of customers? So that's what Jesus is saying right here. Look at the reviews. Look at the works that I'm doing. If you, can, if you can see these things, don't you think my claims are actually true? Because if you're buying a product and you say, man, they have a lot of great experience about it, it must be right. One just recent one that we did, I didn't share this in the other services, but man, I've been watching these things about these Giza dream sheets. Anybody seen the Giza dream Man, we got to have those. Best night's sleep ever. Yeah, you read. We got them. Love my new sheets. Oh, man. And I don't get a cut off of any of that stuff, too. But um, they're not cheap, but they are very nice sheets. So here's the thing. Uh, You can see it on the screen. The works of Jesus verify his words. And throughout the Bible, we see the works of Jesus and it should help us to understand the words that go along with it. Now let's keep going. Verse 39 says, And they tried to seize him, but he escaped through their grasp. You know, that happened other times too, where they tried to, to take Jesus down. They tried to arrest him and, and stone him or do whatever. 
But they couldn't. He escaped their grasp. I remember one time in Scripture, they were ready to throw him over a hill. And he just slipped through the crowd, it says. Which leads us to our last point of the four for related to be secure in an insecure world. And that, that's this. Be secure in God's timing and protection. It wasn't Jesus' time yet. Now, there would come in a few months later, we're going to get there when we get to uh, Jesus in that final week before the, the uh, crucifixion. He laid his life down. He allowed himself to be arrested because it was the right time. This wasn't the right time. And I like this verse in 2 Thessalonians 3.3. 3. It says, but the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. I don't know about you, but why do we fear? Do we believe the Word of God? And we talk about standing on the Word of God, being secure in the Word of God. Right here, it tells us He's faithful. We can know that He's going to strengthen us, and He is going to protect us from the evil one. Why is that helpful? Because I don't have to live my life in fear. I don't have to limit what I do in life like, oh, I can't do that because I'm, I'm afraid. You know, First time when we went to Israel, I remember people telling us, you're going to Israel? Why are you going to Israel? That's too dangerous over there. You know, and I, I, I've started telling people this. I said, you know what? You're safer in Israel in the will of God than you are out on I-95 outside the will of God. Am I right? And you may be even safer in Israel outside the will of God than you are on I-95. I don't know. <laughs> it's a dangerous place, too. But... but we have to trust that God is protecting us. If we're his children, if he's his sheep, he's on the control switch. He's not going to be sleeping at the wheel. Now, we don't want to do anything foolish. We don't want to take life into our own hands and do things outside of his will. But the important thing is staying in the will of God and then just trusting him. Don't live in fear. Now, there will come a time when every one of us will at some point in time depart unless the Lord comes back in our lifetime. The Bible says there's a day to be born and a day to die. I don't know what that day that is, but why do I want to live my life in fear until that day comes? And if it comes next week or if it comes 40 years from now, let him decide that. You be faithful and trust that he is faithful. Amen? Amen. Verse 40. Then Jesus went back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing in the early days. There he stayed. And many people came to him, and they said, Though John never performed a sign, all that John said about this man was true. And in that place, many believed in Jesus. You know, in, in, uh, it's interesting there what the people were saying about John the Baptist. In uh, Matthew 11, Jesus said, There's no greater prophet born among woman, women than John. But look what it says there. John didn't do any signs. He didn't do any miracles. That actually gives me great hope. You know, God's not calling for us to be superstar Christians, doing all these miracles and so forth. What was the ministry of John? Pointing people to Jesus. And you see the last point up on the screen is our greatest ministry is pointing people to Jesus. Not to this church, not to a pastor, pointing people to Jesus. It's all about a relationship with Jesus. He's the one who's the source of our security. He's the one who gives us our salvation. He's the one who gives us wisdom for living our life. 
Everything is about him. We point people to Jesus. And then watch him work. Watch him change. I've been a follower of Jesus now for 41 years. And I've seen God do one thing after another in my life and how he's used me and so forth. But I know it's not me. I hope I'm not up here in my own strength and power today. That it's all about Jesus. Not ever drawing attention to ourselves. It's always about him. We're going to pray. In a moment, we're going to take communion. And communion is to remember what Jesus did for us. And uh, if you're not a believer yet in Jesus, I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray here in a moment. Don't take communion if you're not a follower of Jesus. But let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you that uh, you want us to be secure in our relationship with you. That we're in your hands and we're in the hands of Jesus Help us to be more and more on fire for you. Help us to abide in you, Lord Jesus, as we seek more and more to know you in relationship and that our relationship with you is always comes ahead of our serving of you. Help us to trust your word, to base our life on your word. That you, you validated your word even with miracles. And Lord, give us that ministry of pointing people to Jesus that you've put us in this world for such a time as this, and you've put people around us to point people to Jesus. Help us to be on mission. And while heads are bowed, I'm just going to ask those of you that, that, are, that are not secure, you're not maybe sure if you have a relationship with Jesus, or you've wandered away some way, and you want to pray, you want to invite Jesus Christ to be... You want to surrender your life to Jesus today. I'm just going to ask that you raise your hand up high. I'm going to pray for you right there in your seat. Just raise your hand up high. So I look around. You're not joining the church. We don't even have membership here. You're saying yes to Jesus. I need that type of relationship with Jesus. Okay? Others. In the balcony. You're saying yes to Jesus right now. The Holy Spirit's speaking to you, saying, I know I need to raise my hand up. I need, yes, okay, another one. Others. Okay, you can put your hands down, okay, good. Let me just lead you in this prayer. It's not about the exact words of this prayer, but it's about the meaning of it in your heart to the Lord. Just pray this under your breath. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus. Jesus, thank you for going to the cross for my sins and raising from the dead. I put my faith and trust in you. Forgive me now of all my sins. I want to be your sheep, and you be my shepherd. And I want to follow you in relationship from this day forward. So send your Holy Spirit to live in me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Getting into John chapter 10. We're going to be starting in verse 22. And I titled this message, Secure in an Insecure World. Anybody out there think that we're maybe we're in a bit of an insecure world right now? I mean, look at all the things that we can't control in life. 
I mean, we, we live in Florida. It's hurricane season. We have no control over the weather like that, do we? That's just one area. Do we have control over the economy? Do we have control over our politics? Do we have control of what other countries are doing? Do we have control over health? I mean, there's so many things that we have, and that you would almost say this world is very insecure. And I, I hate to have be the bearer of bad news because you're coming to church for encouragement, right? But somehow I believe that as we get closer and closer to Jesus' return, probably things aren't going to get any better. We are in an insecure world. But now let me tell you this. As Christ followers, I believe that God wants us to be secure. That we can live in that eye of the storm, so to speak. That we can have peace when others don't have peace. Because we, have, we belong to the Prince of Peace. So don't be discouraged by what's going on. I believe God wants to, us to be secure no matter what's going on around us. Because we, we can't control all that stuff. But Jesus can. And so we are going to be in God's Word as we're going to be studying it. And uh, we're going to look at four principles about uh, security. So let me just set the stage. Uh, uh, Pastor David Palmazano was teaching last week. And the, actually from chapter 7 through the first part of chapter 10 was dealing when Jesus was in the Jerusalem and he was there for the uh, festival of the booths or tabernacles as it was also known. And then he departed there and it says now he's coming back in verse 22 for the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. So let's just look at verse 22. Then he came, then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter and Jesus was in the temple courts walking in Solomon's colonnade. Now, the festival of dedication, also known as lights, is what today the Jewish people celebrate as Hanukkah. It's that time of year right around Christmas in December where they celebrate the freedom that they had from this evil king of Syria named Antiochus Epiphanes. Ooh, even his name sounds evil, doesn't it? And he, he desecrated the temple. It was a, this was a, at about... Uh, 160 years before the time of Christ. He set up an image of Jupiter, the, the pagan god Jupiter, in the temple. He sacrificed a pig on the altar and smeared blood inside the temple. Can you imagine how that just desecrated the temple? But freedom came in the year 164 B.C. from a guy named Judas Maccabees. And it was actually with his brothers, and they, had, they came, and they got the Syrians out of there, and they cleansed the temple, and they lit the, the lampstands again. But they only had enough oil for one day. And those lamps stayed lit, according to uh, tradition, for eight days. It was like a supernatural thing. And that's why they celebrated for eight days. Well, Jesus was here. At this time, they were still celebrating it. And so he was there for that, that festival and uh, it says it was wintertime, we know, because it was December also. And he was on that temple courts on Solomon's colonnade. Probably because it was in an area that was protected by the temple. It's winter, and it was on the east side of the temple. And from that standpoint, probably the west winds off the Mediterranean may not have reached there, so it was kind of a little protected. Probably it was cold. Also, this is the same area that the birth of the church took place on the day of Pentecost, Peter was preaching on this area, and so this has a lot of significance. Now, let's keep going. Verse 24, the Jews who were there gathered around him saying, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, 
tell us plainly. Now, we're going to dissect that verse for a moment because there's a lot that we, we miss because we're not reading it in the original language of Greek. The, when it says they gathered around him, in the original language, it means they hemmed him in. They boxed him in. They didn't just gather around like, oh, let's hear what Jesus has to say. No, this, these were not people friendly to Jesus. And by them asking the question, tell us plainly if you're the Messiah, they weren't really wanting to know. They were trying to trap him. He had told them so many times before, and we've even read them as we've gone through the, the book of John here, but they didn't want to believe. They had an agenda. They were trying to trap him in his words. They wanted to somehow get him arrested because he was a threat. See, I think it's really important for all of us because do you ever go through opposition for your Christian faith? Uh, probably a lot of us do, and uh, I think it's important also to know that sometimes people are going to trap you and they're trying to get you to argue. I just, I, I have one thing I've learned is people are a lot more bold online than they are in person. Am I right? Be careful what you respond to, what you say online, because you might just be introducing an argument. If people are not open, you know the best thing we can do? Just be kind. There are people who are sincere, they're open, they want to know more about Jesus, about Christianity, but there are other people who are just looking to pick a fight. And don't go down that road. I think it's important as we see this next thing on the screen is that you can be perfect and still face opposition. Look at Jesus. He was perfect and he faced opposition. Now we're imperfect. Don't you think we're going to face opposition as well? Because what happens is when we are a part of the kingdom of God, it's like we've switched jerseys. We're on a different team now. And there is a team that's against us. The world, the world system is, is trying to, and you look at it, it's all around us. It's part of the insecurity that we have in this world around us is that the enemy does not want us to succeed, does not want the name of Jesus glorified and lifted up. So sometimes people will come against us and what we stand for and believe. And that's part of just what's going on here with Jesus. Let's keep reading, verse 25. And Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you did not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe because you're not my sheep. See, there was many works that Jesus was doing that were testifying. He was actually fulfilling prophecies in Isaiah 35, Isaiah 42, Psalm 146 about the works of the Messiah, such works as uh, the blind eyes opening, the deaf hearing, the lame walking. So Jesus was doing that, but he says, you're not my sheep. It's kind of a continuation of what, he was, what we were reading about last week in, in the first part of uh, John 10 about the shepherd, you know, Jesus is our great shepherd. And that uh, he's also the gate of the sheep pen and so forth. But by the way, I have to ask you, do you know what you call a hundred uh, sheep rolling down a hill? It's called a lamb slide. <laughs> Make sure you're still with me here. Oh, if you like that, I got more. <laughs> Did you hear about the, the sheep that was arrested out here on Mitten Road? He made an illegal U-turn. 
Okay, that's enough. I'll get back to the word. So, what's really important is this first point, as we're going to look at four points, is this. Don't prioritize your security in people or things above God. Because we're going to have people that are going to be against us. The world system is against us. And if you're looking for trying to build your security on stuff around you, it's like, when I got everybody that likes me and everybody, you're not going to get it. Not if you're a follower of Jesus. Maybe if you're a worldly person, the world will like you. But don't prioritize your security in things or in people above God. You're going to see, that's where our security is going to come from. If you're going to live in the, in the eye of the storm, so to speak, and you're going to have a peace, it's going to come from that prince of peace who's living in our heart and ruling and reigning in us. And, and, and there's a, we can use wisdom and we can try to have security in a lot of different things. I'm not telling you you can't have security systems and protect yourself in various ways and so forth, but never prioritize that above Jesus. Well, let's keep going. Verse 27. It says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. That one verse is packed. We could do a whole sermon on that one verse. Look at the three things. It says, My sheep. So you see, it's, it's related to Jesus. These are his sheep. They're not someone else's. There's, there's a relationship. It says, that If you're his sheep, it's a test for all of us. These three things they listen to his voice. Then it says, he knows them. In other words, there's a relationship. And the third thing is they follow him. There's obedience. So let's just talk about this for a moment. How do we hear the voice of God? The main way, and there's multiple ways, the main way is through the Word of God. This is why we study the Word of God. We go through books of the Bible, verse by verse. This is so important. You know what? As pastors, sometimes there's verses we'd like to skip. Oh, man, you know, people are going to leave the church if I share that. But it's all God's word. And so we stand on the word of God. This is how he speaks to us. But he also speaks to us through the still, small voice in our heart. That's the Holy Spirit guiding us, speaking to us, showing us things. Also, he speaks through us through pastors, spiritual leaders. I hope that God is speaking through me to you today. He also speaks to us through dreams and visions. Now, you've got to be careful with some of these things. Also, he can speak to us through circumstances, even through nature. It tells us that in Romans chapter 1, that people were without excuse and even believing in God because God speaks to us through nature. So a lot of ways that God can speak to us, but the primary way is that. And it says that not only does he speak to us, but he wants a relationship with us. Last week, Pastor David um, Palmzano had Matthew 7 up on the screen, and it said that uh, many are going to say on that last day, Lord, Lord, you know, let us in, so to speak. And he's going to say, you know, I don't know you. They're going to say, well, uh, we did all these great works. We know we did this for you, and we did that for you. We prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. And he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. See, God isn't looking for activity. He's looking for relationship. And you're going to see in a moment, our relationship always comes first. Activity comes after that. It flows forth from our relationship. And that's why even in the order that you see it in the uh, chapter, in verse 27, it says we hear his voice, 
We have relationship, and then we follow him. We obey what he has to say to us. Look at these verses. They're kind of some strong verses, I think, for us, because there are people out there who are not true sheep. They may claim to be a sheep, but they're not. They're pretenders, so to speak. Look at Titus 1.16. It says this. They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. So it's not about what we just claim. There should be something, or, 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 there should be something related to our life that's matching more of what, what we are saying about with our relationship with God. And then 1 John 2, 3 says, we know that we've come to know him. Remember, back to the relationship, if we keep his commands. So I have this point for us because I think whenever we're talking about works, it's always important that we realize we can't get the cart ahead of the horse, so to speak. We're not saved by our works. And so I wrote it this way. Good works don't save us, but they flow from our relationship with Jesus. Always make sure it's relationship with Jesus first. Religious people will sometimes forget the relationship part, and they focus on the works. Got to do this, got to do this, got to do this. Well, that's religion. And you can be manipulated by man in religion. where Man, man can get you to do certain things. The only thing I'm going to do is point you to Jesus here, point you to his word. I'm not going to manipulate you to get you to do something. So let's keep going. Verse 28. Jesus goes on and says, I, and he's talking about a sheep here. He says, I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. You see there the divinity of Jesus over and over in Scripture, Jesus and the Father, interchangeable in this situation. They're, they're complete unity. Jesus is God. So here's our second thing is be secure in your relationship with God. You know why you can be secure in your relationship with God? Because you got Jesus got you by the hand. The Father's got you by the hand. I mean, that's better than Allstate. I mean, Allstate may say they have... You're in good hands, but we're in better hands. And so I'm totally 100% secure because I'm in the hands of Jesus. Now people say, oh, can we, can we jump out of his hands? Well, why do we even ask that question? Why do we want to get out of his hands? But by the way, he says he measured the heavens by the span of his hand. That's pretty big hands, Okay. But I think the big question is, is that, and I'm not going to answer it for you because I'm not a theologian like that. People, theologians have argued for hundreds of years, you know, can you, you know, jump out of the hands of God? Can you make this decision, this or that and so forth? Here's the only thing. It boils it down and makes it very simple for all of us. There's only one way to heaven, right? It's through Jesus. And so, you know, either people have a Jesus or they don't have Jesus. And here's what I know is you have Jesus, you're secure. And he doesn't say, I will give you eternal life. Go back to the passage. He says, I give them eternal life. They're not going to perish. You know why this is so important? Because if you're at odds with someone, broken relationship, not reconciled. Let's say you're in uh, Publix 
and you see them down at the end of the aisle, what are you going to do? Probably check out early, right? Not going to go down that aisle. Ooh, I'm going to avoid them. I see they're down there. But what if it's somebody you have a great relationship with? You're going to head down there, hug up on each other, going to love up on you. Oh, man, it's great seeing you. Satan does not want us to feel secure in our relationship with God. If he can make you feel insecure, then you don't feel like having a quiet time. You don't feel like you want to serve him. You're going to feel like, oh, God's mad at me. No, he knows of this. And No, that's Satan. He's trying to always break that security. And I was thinking about this. The picture of security I have is like you take a child. And when they're, and you know, you, you take them to a store. And we did it with our kids when they were young. And now we do it with our grandkids, especially when we take them out for ice cream. We'll, have a, we'll, have, we'll take our grandchildren by the hand. There's no way we're going to let them go without us holding their hand in a parking lot with moving cars around. But have you ever pulled into a parking lot and you see a, a two or three year old and you're thinking, where's their parent? They're out there wander, walking around and it's like, I mean, that's, that's a bad situation, right? God's got us by the hand. We are secure and protected, just like we would protect our grandchildren or our children. Now, I have to tell you this. Barb didn't want me to tell you this story, but we're imperfect parents. And uh, there was a time when we lived in Iowa when our son Luke was probably about five or six years old. We had driven to church separately. We got home after church, and my wife says, well, where's Luke? And I said, I thought he came home with you. We left our son at church. So we had to go back, look pretty foolish as parents. There he was, waiting for us. And, uh, of course, we only lived about a mile, a mile and a half from the church and so forth. He wasn't, we weren't apart too long. But we're imperfect parents. He's perfect. He says he'd never leave us or forsake us. In fact, look at this verse that contains that part. Deuteronomy 31.6 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. He was talking to the nation of Israel about the enemies of Israel. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. We might, but he won't. So let's be secure in the relationship with God. Now, this is, what, this is what's so hard to understand and get our minds around. The, the free will of man versus the sovereignty of God. I believe in both of them. And sometimes I think people are trying to reconcile those, and I don't think God's called us to reconcile those two. I believe in both of them. But you know what? Sometimes when we get to heaven, we'll understand these things that maybe don't make a lot of sense to us. So all I know is we're only getting to heaven through Jesus. Let's stay connected to Jesus. Let's not worry and sit there worrying about jumping out of his hands or not, okay? Look at this verse, because I think this is such a powerful verse related to our salvation and the assurance of our salvation. 1 John chapter 5, verse 11 through 13 says this. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has a Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Doesn't that kind of say it very clearly? Isn't that more clear than I could even say it? You either have Jesus or you don't have Jesus. You have Jesus, you have eternal life. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have eternal life. And look what it says there, the last part I, I had to underline. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know 
That's the key word. So that you may know that you have eternal life. God doesn't want it to be a mystery. You know, you hear these jokes about, you know, when you die, getting to the pearly gates and Peter's standing there, why should I let you in and so forth. I mean, they make for fun little jokes and stories and so forth. They're not biblical. There's only one way we're going to get there. We have the Son. We have Jesus Christ. And, and you don't have to ever doubt about your salvation. Now, if you don't, if you're a pretender, if you claim to know God, but you're not a real sheep, well, we can, we can make that change today. We can pray, and you can make sure today, on this day of July 3rd, 2022, that you settled it once and for all. See, pretenders, they have no change taking place in their life. Their words don't match their actions. They lack relationship. But I do have to say this. Our enemy, you know he's a liar, right? So what does he do with saved people? He tries to get them to believe they're not saved. And what's he do to the unsaved people? He tries to get them to think, you're fine, you're okay. All roads are going to heaven. There's many ways. You're fine. You're a good person. Oh, look at yourself compared to that person. You're way better than them. He tries to give false security to the unsaved, and he tries to take away the security of the saved. That's why Jesus is teaching about his real sheep are secure in his hands. Let's be secure in the hands of Jesus, all right? Now, there are some proofs that I believe that Scripture can give us uh, of our salvation. This isn't a full list, and just to help some of you that might still be questioning in your life. First of all, proofs of salvation. The promises that are in Scripture is number one by far. Such verses as as Romans chapter 10 says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you, what? Fill in the rest. Will be saved. Not might. You will be saved. So we can know there's a lot of assurances, of promises in, in Scripture. Next is that once we become a Christian, we should start to feel that our desires are changing. We're changing. We want to please God. Now, it doesn't make us perfect. None of us are perfect. We then, because we are saved, we have the Holy Spirit living in us, and he's convicting us of sin, and he's leading us in our lives. If you can sin, and it doesn't bother you, there's no conviction of the Holy Spirit at all, I think you're in shaky ground. Because I really believe when the Holy Spirit's living in you, the Scripture teaches us that, and we'll get to it when we get, I think, into John 16, he convicts us of sin. That's one of his roles. And so I, I, I think that, you know, sometimes people, I've heard this said before, is that if you're trying to straddle the fence, so to speak, got one foot in the world, one foot, foot in the kingdom of God, you got too much of the world to be happy in the kingdom of God, you got too much of the kingdom of God in you to be happy in the world. Now, I really don't know where that fence is at and how you straddle that and so forth. All I know is be all in for the kingdom of God. Settle it once and for all. So here's the next thing, and I like to share this because it's so important when we talk about uh, works and so forth. I don't ever want people to think that we're somehow in a works relationship with God, but here's this. Gratitude to Jesus should guide our living. 
If you're truly saved, you're going to be thankful for what he's done for you, and it's going, to, it's going to help you as you live your life and what you do with your life, whether you're a giver or taker, whether you serve or just waiting to be served. It's going to change you because of your gratitude to Jesus. You're going to want to serve the Lord. Well, let's keep going. Verse 31. Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. And we've read that before, haven't we? They're always picking up these stones. It just seems like they're a little stone happy here. But Jesus said to them, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We're not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. They knew what Jesus was saying. Now, the cults don't seem to understand this, do they? They say things like, well, you know, Jesus never said he was God. The Bible does not say that he was God. Now, look at this here. The enemies of Jesus knew what he was saying, and they knew the original language. They could understand what he was saying, and they were ready to stone him because he was making this claim about being God. So there was no question for these people. Verse 34, Jesus answered them, is it not written in your law, I have said, and now Jesus is going to quote part of Psalm 82. He says, I have said you are gods. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be set aside, what about the one whom the Father set apart from his very own and sent into the world? Why then you, do you accuse me of blasphemy? Because I said, I am God's son. And that's a little bit hard to understand. I had to really do some studying on this one. What is, what is this Jesus saying there? He's saying, you guys are inconsistent. You believe the word of God. It can't be set aside. You, you know Psalm 82. And in Psalm 82, God's words called the earthly judges gods. Little g, gods. Why were the earthly judges called gods? Because they were carrying out judgment, they were carrying out different uh, verdicts against people using the principles, the law of God. So they had people's destiny in their hands, like, like a God. And so the scripture called these earthly judges gods. And what Jesus is saying, you have those people that you know or call gods, here I come with all my works, and I say I'm the son of God, and, and yet you say it's blasphemy? He was just trying to show them their inconsistency. But I think there's something really important here as you look at verse 35. And Jesus, I don't want you to miss what Jesus said there. He said, Scripture cannot be set aside. You should underline that if you, if in your Bibles. That is so important. Which lends itself to our third thing about being secure. We need to be secure in God's Word. That's where our security it, it, we are secure in the hands of God, in our relationship with him, in other words, but we're secure in the word of God. It can't be set aside. And I, I have some things up on the screen that as we think about the word of God, they're so important for us because I know some of you come from different backgrounds. First of all, the Bible, we believe, is all inspired by God. Forty different authors wrote over 1,500 years, three different languages. Consistency from Genesis to Revelation. It's all inspired. So these 40 different authors may append it, 
but it was the Holy Spirit showing him exactly what to write. Now, I'm, I'm going to give you a little bit of a warning here, because there are churches that are out there today who have, they will open up a Bible, and they will stand before their people, and they will say, this contains the Word of God. Now, anytime you hear a pastor say, the Bible contains the Word of God, you might want to know a little bit more about what do they really mean. Because you know what many of them mean when they say that? Some verses are the Word of God and some verses are not. It contains it. And who is deciding what's the Word of God and what's not? Them. They're, really, they're, they're whatever church or whatever. No, we believe it's all the Word of God. Very different language than it contains the Word of God. It's all the Word of God. It's inspired by God. It's without error. That's the second part up there. Why is that? Well, people tell you all the time, oh, you know, it's been changed over the years, all these different translations. You know you can't trust it and all this kind of stuff. Well, you know, there was a discovery in the 1940s in Israel, in Qumran, Israel. It's one of the places that we'll be going to next year. If you go with uh, us to Israel, they found the Dead Sea Scrolls. Most of the Old Testament was found in these clay jars that were preserved, these uh, scrolls. And they found the whole book of Isaiah that was written over 200 years before the time of Jesus. And Isaiah has so many prophecies. And they compared what we had at that time in the book of Isaiah and compared it to what was in the Dead Sea Scrolls. And there was only minute little things that, that were different, but nothing that we lost the meaning of. You know what God said? Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word's going to stand forever. If you can believe a God who created the earth, raised Jesus from the dead, can't you believe that he can also protect his word? We have not. It, we, it's without error. And the third thing is, it's the final authority. We would never place any of man's writings or church's edicts or whatever equal to or above the word of God. The word of God is the final authority. Not our culture, not any political party. The Word of God is the final authority. That's what we base our lives on. So you can be secure in the Word of God. You get outside the Word of God, now what you have is man's interpretation, man's ideas and opinions and so forth. Let's keep going. Verse 37. Do not believe me unless I do the works of my Father. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. What is Jesus saying there? He's saying, I've made a lot of claims. You, you may not believe my claims, but you see very visible the works that I'm doing. These works of healing the blind and the deaf and the lame and, and, and all this type of stuff that he's doing. And, and the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about even a bigger one. He's saying, if you don't believe, believe the works. And what's important is you see that the Father is in Jesus and Jesus is in the Father, that unity, part of the Trinity there. Now, I was really thinking about this. I was thinking, what, what, how does this relate? Can I give an analogy of today? Well, I tell you what, when I like to shop, I like to do it online. Any online shoppers out there, I don't really care to go to a store. And I love where I, a lot of stuff I can get next day. So, But here's the thing. I will do a little research, too. 
So I see a company has a product they're selling that I want, and I read their claims, their information. But then I take it one step further. I want to look at the verified customer reviews. Anybody like that out there? I want to see what do people say about it. Do the claims match up with, with uh, the real-life uh, uh, experience of customers? So that's what Jesus is saying right here. Look at the reviews. Look at the works that I'm doing. If you, can, if you can see these things, don't you think my claims are actually true? Because if you're buying a product and you say, man, they have a lot of great experience about it, it must be right. One just recent one that we did, I didn't share this in other services, but man, I've been watching these things about these Giza dream sheets. Anybody seen the Giza dream Man, we got to have those. Best night's sleep ever. Yeah, you read. We got them. Love my new sheets. Oh, man. And I don't get a cut off of any of that stuff, too. But um, they're not cheap, but they are very nice sheets. So here's the thing. Uh, You can see it on the screen. The works of Jesus verify his words. And throughout the Bible, we see the works of Jesus and it should help us to understand the words that go along with it. Now let's keep going. Verse 39 says, And they tried to seize him, but he escaped through their grasp. You know, that happened other times too, where they tried to, to take Jesus down. They tried to arrest him and, and stone him or do whatever, but they couldn't. He escaped their grasp. I remember one time in Scripture, they were ready to throw him over a hill. And he just slipped through the crowd, it says. Which leads us to our last point of the four related to be secure and insecure world. And that's this. Be secure in God's timing and protection. It wasn't Jesus' time yet. Now, there would come in a few months later. We're going to get there when we get to uh, Jesus in that final week before the the, uh, crucifixion. He laid his life down. He allowed himself to be arrested because it was the right time. This wasn't the right time. And I like this verse in 2 Thessalonians 3.3. It says, But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. I don't know about you, but why do we fear? Do we believe the word of God? And we talk about standing on the word of God, being secure in the word of God. Right here, it tells us he's faithful. We can know that he's going to strengthen us and he is going to protect us from the evil one. Why is that helpful? Because I don't have to live my life in fear. I don't have to limit what I do in life like, oh, I can't do that because I'm, I'm afraid. You know, first time when we went to Israel, I remember people telling us, you're going to Israel? Why are you going to Israel? That's too dangerous over there. You know, and I, and I, I've started telling people this. I said, you know what? You're safer in Israel in the will of God than you are out on I-95 outside the will of God. Am I right? And you may be even safer in Israel outside the will of God than you are on I-95. I don't know. (laughs) It's a dangerous place, too. But we have to trust that God is protecting us. If we're his children, if he's his sheep, he's on the control switch. He's not going to be sleeping at the wheel. Now, we don't want to do anything foolish. We don't want to take life into our own hands and do things outside of his will. But the important thing is staying in the will of God and then just trusting him. Don't live in fear. 
Now, there will come a time when every one of us will, at some point in time, depart unless the Lord comes back in our lifetime. The Bible says there's a day to be born and a day to die. I don't know what that day that is, but why do I want to live my life in fear until that day comes? And if it comes next week or if it comes 40 years from now, let him decide that. You be faithful and trust that he is faithful. Amen? Amen. Verse 40. Then Jesus went back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing in the early days. There he stayed. And many people came to him. And they said, though John never performed a sign, all that John said about this man was true. And in that place, many believed in Jesus. You know, in, in, uh, it's interesting there what the people were saying about John the Baptist. In uh, Matthew 11, Jesus said, There's no greater prophet born among woman, women than John. But look what it says there. John didn't do any signs. He didn't do any miracles. It actually gives me great hope. You know, God's not calling for us to be superstar Christians, doing all these miracles and so forth. What was the ministry of John? Pointing people to Jesus. And you see the last point up on the screen is our greatest ministry is pointing people to Jesus. Not to this church, not to a pastor, pointing people to Jesus. It's all about a relationship with Jesus. He's the one who's the source of our security. He's the one who gives us our salvation. He's the one who gives us wisdom for living our life. Everything is about him. We point people to Jesus. And then watch him work. Watch him change. I've been a follower of Jesus now for 41 years. And I've seen God do one thing after another in my life and how he's used me and so forth. But I know it's not me. I hope I'm not up here in my own strength and power today. That it's all about Jesus. Not ever drawing attention to ourselves. It's always about him. We're going to pray. In a moment, we're going to take communion. And communion is to remember what Jesus did for us. And uh, if you're not a believer yet in Jesus, I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray here in a moment. Don't take communion if you're not a follower of Jesus. But let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you that uh, you want us to be secure in our relationship with you, that we're in your hands and we're in the hands of Jesus. Help us to be more and more on fire for you. Help us to abide in you, Lord Jesus, as we seek more and more to know you in relationship and that our relationship with you always comes ahead of our serving of you. Help us to trust your word, to base our life on your word, that you, you validated your word even with miracles. And Lord, give us that ministry of pointing people to Jesus, that you've put us in this world for such a time as this, and you've put people around us to point people to Jesus. Help us to be on mission. And while heads are bowed, I'm just going to ask those of you that, that, are, that are not secure, you're not maybe sure if you have a relationship with Jesus, or you've wandered away some way, and you want to pray, you want to invite Jesus Christ to be, you want to surrender your life to Jesus today. I'm just going to ask that you raise your hand up high. I'm going to pray for you right there in your seat. Just raise your hand up high. So I look around. You're not joining the church. We don't even have membership here. 
You're saying yes to Jesus. I need that type of relationship with Jesus. Okay? Others. In the balcony. You're saying yes to Jesus right now. The Holy Spirit's speaking to you, saying, I know I need to raise my hand up. I need, yes, okay, another one. Others. Okay, you can put your hands down. Okay, good. Let me just lead you in this prayer. It's not about the exact words of this prayer, but it's about the meaning of it in your heart to the Lord. Just pray this under your breath. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus. Jesus, thank you for going to the cross for my sins and raising from the dead. I put my faith and trust in you. Forgive me now of all my sins. I want to be your sheep, and you be my shepherd. And I want to follow you in relationship from this day forward. So send your Holy Spirit to live in me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Getting into John chapter 10. We're going to be starting in verse 22. And I titled this message, Secure in an Insecure World. Anybody out there think that we're maybe we're in a bit of an insecure world right now? I mean, look at all the things that we can't control in life. I mean, we live in Florida. It's hurricane season. We have no control over the weather like that, do we? That's just one area. Do we have control over the economy? Do we have control over our politics? Do we have control of what other countries are doing? Do we have control over health? I mean, there's so many things that we have and that you would almost say this world is very insecure. And I, I hate to have be the bearer of bad news because you're coming to church for encouragement, right? But somehow I believe that as we get closer and closer to Jesus' return, probably things aren't going to get any better. We are in an insecure world. But now let me tell you this. As Christ followers, I believe that God wants us to be secure, that we can live in that eye of the storm, so to speak, that we can have peace when others don't have peace because we, have, we belong to the Prince of Peace, so don't be discouraged by what's going on. I believe God wants to, us to be secure no matter what's going on around us because we, we can't control all that stuff. But Jesus can. And so we are going to be in God's Word as we're going to be studying it. And uh, we're going to look at four principles about uh, security. So let me just set the stage. Uh, uh, Pastor David Palmazano was teaching last week. And the, actually from chapter 7 through the first part of chapter 10 was dealing when Jesus was in the Jerusalem, and he was there for the uh, festival of the booths, or tabernacles, as it was also known. And then he departed there, and it says now he's coming back in verse 22 for the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. So let's just look at verse 22. Then he came, then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple courts walking in Solomon's colonnade. Now, the festival of dedication, also known as lights, is what today the Jewish people celebrate as Hanukkah. It's that time of year, right around Christmas in December, where they celebrate the freedom that they had from this evil king of Syria named 
Antiochus Epiphanes, who even his name sounds evil, doesn't it? And he, he desecrated the temple. It was a, this was at about uh, 160 years before the time of Christ. He set up an image of Jupiter, the, the pagan god Jupiter, in the temple. He sacrificed a pig on the altar and smeared blood inside the temple. Can you imagine how that just desecrated the temple? But freedom came in the year 164 B.C. from a guy named Judas Maccabees. And it was actually with his brothers. And they, had, they came and they got the Syrians out of there and they cleansed the temple and they lit the, the lampstands again. They only had enough oil for one day. And those lamps stayed lit, according to uh, tradition, for eight days. It was like a supernatural thing. And that's why they celebrated for eight days. Well, Jesus was here. At this time, they were still celebrating it. And so he was there for that, that festival. And uh, it says it was wintertime, we know, because it was December also. And he was on that temple courts on Solomon's colonnade. Probably because it was in an area that was protected by the temple. It's winter, and it was on the east side of the temple. And from that standpoint, probably the west winds off the Mediterranean may not have reached there, so it was kind of a little protected. Probably it was cold. Also, this is the same area that the birth of the church took place. On the day of Pentecost, Peter was preaching on this area. And so this has a lot of significance. Now, let's keep going. Verse 24. The Jews who were there gathered around him, saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Now, we're going to dissect that verse for a moment because there's a lot that we, we miss because we're not reading it in the original language of Greek. The, when it says they gathered around him, in the original language, it means they hemmed him in. They boxed him in. They didn't just gather around like, Oh, let's hear what Jesus has to say. No, this, these were not people friendly to Jesus. And by them asking the question, tell us plainly if you're the Messiah, they weren't really wanting to know. They were trying to trap him. He had told them so many times before, and we've even read them as we've gone through the, the book of John here, but they didn't want to believe. They had an agenda. They were trying to trap him in his words. They wanted to somehow get him arrested because he was a threat. See, I think it's really important for all of us because do you ever go through opposition for your Christian faith? Uh, probably a lot of us do. And uh, I think it's important also to know that sometimes people are going to trap you and they're trying to get you to argue. I just, I, I have, one thing I've learned is people are a lot more bold online than they are in person. Am I right? Be careful what you respond to, what you say online, because you might just be introducing an argument. If people are not open, you know the best thing we can do? Just be kind. There are people who are sincere, they're open, they want to know more about Jesus, about Christianity, but there are other people who are just looking to pick a fight. And don't go down that road. I think it's important, as we see this next thing on the screen, is that you can be perfect and still face opposition. Look at Jesus. He was perfect, and he faced opposition. Now, we're imperfect. Don't you think we're going to face opposition as well? Because what happens is when we are a part of the kingdom of God, it's like we've switched jerseys. We're on a different team now. And there is a team that's against us. The world, the world system is, is trying to 
And you look at it, it's all around us. It's part of the insecurity that we have in this world around us is that the enemy does not want us to succeed, does not want the name of Jesus glorified and lifted up. So sometimes people will come against us and what we stand for and believe. And that's part of just what's going on here with Jesus. Let's keep reading, verse 25. And Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you did not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe because you're not my sheep. See, there was many works that Jesus was doing that were testifying. He was actually fulfilling prophecies in Isaiah 35, Isaiah 42, Psalm 146 about the works of the Messiah. Such works as uh, the blind eyes opening, the deaf hearing, the lame walking. So Jesus was doing that, but he says, you're not my sheep. It's kind of a continuation of what he was, what we were reading about last week in, in the first part of uh, John 10 about the shepherd. You know, Jesus is our great shepherd, and that uh, he's also the gate of the sheep pen and so forth. But by the way, I have to ask you, do you know what you call a hundred uh, sheep rolling down a hill? It's called a lamb slide. <laughs> Make sure you're still with me here. Oh, if you like that, I got more. <laughs> Did you hear about the, the sheep that was arrested out here on Mitten Road? He made an illegal U-turn. <laughs> okay, that's enough. I'll get back to the word. So... What's really important is this first point, as we're going to look at four points, is this. Don't prioritize your security in people or things above God. Because we're going to have people that are going to be against us. The world system is against us. And if you're looking for trying to build your security on stuff around you, it's like, when I got everybody that likes me and everybody, you're not going to get it. Not if you're a follower of Jesus. Maybe if you're a worldly person, the world will like you. But don't prioritize your security in things or in people above God. You're going to see, that's where our security is going to come from. If you're going to live in the, in the eye of the storm, so to speak, and you're going to have a peace, it's going to come from that Prince of Peace who's living in our heart and ruling and reigning in us. And, and, and there's a, we can use wisdom and we can try to have security in a lot of different things. I'm not telling you you can't have security systems and protect yourself in various ways and so forth. But never prioritize that above Jesus. Well, let's keep going. Verse 27. It says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. That one verse is packed. We could do a whole sermon on that one verse. Look at the three things. It says, my sheep, so you see it's, it's related to Jesus. These are his sheep. They're not someone else's. There's, there's a relationship. It says that if you're his sheep, it's a test for all of us. These three things. They listen to his voice. And then it says he knows them. In other words, there's a relationship. And the third thing is they follow him. There's obedience. So let's just talk about this for a moment. How do we hear the voice of God? The main way, and there's multiple ways, the main way is through the Word of God. This is why we study the Word of God. We go through books of the Bible, verse by verse. This is so important. You know what? As pastors, sometimes there's verses we'd like to skip. 
oh man, you know, people are going to leave the church if I share that. But it's all God's word. And so we stand on the word of God. This is how he speaks to us. But he also speaks to us through the still small voice in our heart. That's the Holy Spirit guiding us, speaking to us, showing us things. Also, he speaks through us through pastors, spiritual leaders. I hope that God is speaking through me to you today. He also speaks to us through dreams and visions. Now, you've got to be careful with some of these things. Also, he can speak to us through circumstances, even through nature. It tells us that in Romans chapter 1, that people were without excuse and even believing in God because God speaks to us through nature. So a lot of ways that God can speak to us, but the primary way is that. And it says that not only does he speak to us, but he wants a relationship with us. Last week, Pastor David um, Palmzano had Matthew 7 up on the screen. And it said that uh, many are going to say on that last day, Lord, Lord, you know, let us in, so to speak. And he's going to say, you know, I don't know you. They're going to say, well, uh, we did all these great works. We know we did this for you, and we did that for you. We prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. And he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. See, God isn't looking for activity. He's looking for relationship. And you're going to see in a moment, our re- relationship always comes first. Activity comes after that. It flows forth from our relationship. And that's why even in the order that you see it in the uh, chapter in verse 27, it says we hear his voice, we have relationship, and then we follow him. We obey what he has to say to us. Look at these verses. They're kind of some strong verses, I think, for us because there are people out there who are not true sheep. They may claim to be a sheep, but they're not. They're pretenders, so to speak. Look at Titus 1.16. It says this. They claim to know God. But by their actions, they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. So it's not about what we just claim. There should be something, or, 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 there should be something related to our life that's matching more of what, what we are saying about with our relationship with God. And then 1 John 2, 3 says, we know that we've come to know him. Remember, back to the relationship if we keep his commands. So I have this point for us because I think whenever we're talking about works, it's always important that we realize we can't get the cart ahead of the horse, so to speak. We're not saved by our works. So I wrote it this way. Good works don't save us, but they flow from our relationship with Jesus. Always make sure it's relationship with Jesus first. Religious people will sometimes forget the relationship part, and they focus on the works. Got to do this, got to do this, got to do this. Well, that's religion. And you can be manipulated by man in religion, where man, man can get you to do certain things. only thing I'm going to do is point you to Jesus here, point you to his word. I'm not going to manipulate you to get you to do something. So let's keep going. Verse 28, Jesus goes on and says, I, and he's talking about a sheep here. He says, I give them eternal life. And they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. You see there the divinity of Jesus. Over and over in Scripture, 
Jesus and the Father, interchangeable in this situation. They're, they're complete unity. Jesus is God. So here's our second thing is be secure in your relationship with God. You know why you can be secure in your relationship with God? Because you got Jesus got you by the hand. The Father's got you by the hand. I mean, that's better than Allstate. I mean, Allstate may say they have, you're in good hands, but we're in better hands. And so I'm totally 100% secure because I'm in the hands of Jesus. Now, people say, oh, can we, can we jump out of his hands? Well, why do we even ask that question? Why do we want to get out of his hands? But by the way, he says he measured the heavens by the span of his hand. That's pretty big hands, okay? But I think the big question is, is that, and I'm not going to answer it for you because I'm not a theologian like that. People, theologians have argued for hundreds of years, you know, can you, you know, jump out of the hands of God? Can you make this decision, this or that and so forth? Here's the only thing. It boils it down and makes it very simple for all of us. There's only one way to heaven, right? It's through Jesus. And so, you know, either people have a Jesus or they don't have Jesus. And here's what I know is you have Jesus, you're secure. And he doesn't say, I will give you eternal life. Go back to the passage. He says, I give them eternal life. They're not going to perish. You know why this is so important? Because if you're at odds with someone, broken relationship, not reconciled. Let's say you're in uh, Publix and you see them down at the end of the aisle. What are you going to do? Probably check out early, right? Not going to go down that aisle. Ooh, I'm going to avoid them. I see they're down there. But what if it's somebody you have a great relationship with? You're going to head down there, hug up on each other, you're going to love up on you. Oh, man, it's great seeing you. Satan does not want us to feel secure in our relationship with God. If he, can, if he can make you feel insecure, then you don't feel like having a quiet time. You don't feel like you want to serve him. You're going to feel like, oh, God's mad at me. You know, he knows all this. And No, that's Satan. He's trying to always break that security. And I, I was thinking about this. The, the picture of security I have is like you take a child, and when they're, and, you, know, you, you take them to a store. And we did it with our kids when they were young, and now we do it with our grandkids, especially when we take them out for ice cream. We'll, have a, we'll, have, we'll take our grandchildren by the hand. There's no way we're going to let them go without us holding their hand in a parking lot with moving cars around. But have you ever pulled into a parking lot and you see a, a two- or three-year-old and you're thinking, where's their parent? They're out there wander, walking around and it's like, I mean, that's, that's a bad situation, right? God's got us by the hand. We are secure and protected, just like we would protect our grandchildren or our children. Now, I have to tell you this. Barb didn't want me to tell you this story, but we're imperfect parents. And uh, there was a time when we lived in Iowa when our son Luke was probably about five or six years old. We had driven to church separately. We got home after church, and my wife says, well, where's Luke? And I said, I thought he came home with you. We left our son at church, so we had to go back, look pretty foolish as parents. There he was, waiting for us, and uh, of course, we only lived about a mile, mile and a half from the church and so forth. He wasn't, we weren't apart too long, but we're imperfect parents. He's perfect. 
He says he'd never leave us or forsake us. In fact, look at this verse that contains that part. Deuteronomy 31.6 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. He was talking to the nation of Israel about the enemies of Israel. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. We might, but he won't. So let's be secure in the relationship with God. Now, this is, what, this is what's so hard to understand and get our minds around. The free will of man versus the sovereignty of God. I believe in both of them. And sometimes I think people are trying to reconcile those, and I don't think God's called us to reconcile those two. I believe in both of them. But you know what? Sometimes when we get to heaven, we'll understand these things that maybe don't make a lot of sense to us. So all I know is we're only getting to heaven through Jesus. Let's stay connected to Jesus. Let's not worry and sit there worrying about jumping out of his hands or not, okay? Look at this verse, because I think this is such a powerful verse related to our salvation and the assurance of our salvation. 1 John chapter 5, verse 11 through 13 says this. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has a Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Doesn't that kind of say it very clearly? Isn't that more clear than I could even say it? You either have Jesus or you don't have Jesus. You have Jesus, you have eternal life. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have eternal life. And look what it says there, the last part I, I had underlined. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know. That's the key word. So that you may know that you have eternal life. God doesn't want it to be a mystery. You know, you hear these jokes about, you know, when you die, getting to the pearly gates and Peter's standing there, why should I let you in and so forth. I mean, they make for fun little jokes and stories and so forth. They're not biblical. There's only one way we're going to get there. We have the Son. We have Jesus Christ. And, and you don't have to ever doubt about your salvation. Now, if you don't, if you're a pretender, if you claim to know God, but you're not a real sheep, well, we can, we can make that change today. We can pray, and you can make sure today, on this day of July 3rd, 2022, that you settled it once and for all. See, pretenders, they have no change taking place in their life their words don't match their actions they lack relationship but i do have to say this our enemy you know he's a liar right so what does he do with saved people he tries to get them to believe they're not saved and what's he do to the unsaved people he tries to get them to think you're fine you're okay all roads are going to heaven. There's many ways. You're fine. You're a good person. Oh, look at yourself compared to that person. You're way better than them. He tries to give false security to the unsaved, and he tries to take away the security of the saved. That's why Jesus is teaching about his real sheep are secure in his hands. Let's be secure in the hands of Jesus, all right? Now, there are some proofs that I believe that Scripture can give us uh, or, or, of our salvation. This isn't a full list, and just to help some of you that might still be questioning in your life. First of all, proofs of salvation. The promises that are in Scripture is number one by far. Such verses as, as Romans chapter 10 says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you, what? Fill in the rest. 
will be saved. Not might, you will be saved. So we can know there's a lot of assurances, of promises in, in Scripture. Next is that once we become a Christian, we should start to feel that our desires are changing. We're changing. We want to please God. Now, it doesn't make us perfect. None of us are perfect. We then, because we are saved, we have the Holy Spirit living in us, and he's convicting us of sin, and he's leading us in our lives. If you can sin, and it doesn't bother you, there's no conviction of the Holy Spirit at all, I think you're in shaky ground. Because I really believe when the Holy Spirit's living in you, the Scripture teaches us that, and we'll get to it when we get, I think, into John 16, He convicts us of sin. That's one of His roles. And so I, I, I think that, you know, sometimes people, I've heard this said before, is that if you're trying to straddle the fence, so to speak, got one foot in the world, one foot, foot in the kingdom of God, you got too much of the world to be happy in the kingdom of God, you got too much of the kingdom of God in you to be happy in the world. Now, I really don't know where that fence is at and how you straddle that and so forth. All I know is be all in for the kingdom of God. Settle it once and for all. So here's our next thing, and i like to share this because it's so important when we talk about uh, works and so forth. I don't ever want people to think that we're somehow in a works relationship with God, but here's this. Gratitude to Jesus should guide our living. If you're truly saved, you're going to be thankful for what he's done for you, and it's going, to, it's going to help you as you live your life and what you do with your life, whether you're a giver or taker, whether you serve or just waiting to be served. It's going to change you because of your gratitude to Jesus. You're going to want to serve the Lord. Well, let's keep going. Verse 31. Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. And we've read that before, haven't we? They're always picking up these stones. It just seems like they're a little stone happy here. But Jesus said to them, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We're not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. They knew what Jesus was saying. Now, the cults don't seem to understand this, do they? They say things like, well, you know, Jesus never said he was God. The Bible does not say that he was God. Now, look at this here. The enemies of Jesus knew what he was saying, and they knew the original language. They could understand what he was saying, and they were ready to stone him because he was making this claim about being God. So there was no question for these people. Verse 34, Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I have said, and now Jesus is going to quote part of Psalm 82. He says, I have said, you are gods. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be set aside, what about the one whom the Father set apart from his very own and sent into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy? Because I said, I am God's son. And that's a little bit hard to understand. I had to really do some studying on this one. What is, what is this Jesus saying there? He's saying, you guys are inconsistent. You believe the word of God. It can't be set aside. You, you know Psalm 82. And in Psalm 82, God's words called the earthly judges gods, little g. 
gods. Why were the earthly judges called gods? Because they were carrying out judgment. They were carrying out different verdicts against people using the principles, the law of God. So they had people's destiny in their hands like, like a god. And so the scripture called these earthly judges gods. And what Jesus is saying, you have those people that you know or call gods. Here I come with all my works, and I say I'm the son of God, and, and yet you say it's blasphemy. He was just trying to show them their inconsistency. But I think there's something really important here as you look at verse 35. And Jesus, I don't want you to miss what Jesus said there. He said, Scripture cannot be set aside. You should underline that if you, if in your Bibles. That is so important, which lends itself to our third thing about being secure. We need to be secure in God's Word. That's where our security, it, it, we are secure in the hands of God, in our relationship with Him, in other words, but we're secure in the Word of God. It can't be set aside. And I, I have some things up on the screen that... As we think about the Word of God, they're so important for us. Because I know some of you come from different backgrounds. First of all, the Bible, we believe, is all inspired by God. Forty different authors wrote over 1,500 years, three different languages. Consistency from Genesis to Revelation. It's all inspired. So these 40 different authors may have penned it. But it was the Holy Spirit showing him exactly what to write. Now, I'm, I'm going to give you a little bit of a warning here. Because there are churches that are out there today who have, they will open up a Bible and they will stand before their people and they will say, this contains the Word of God. Now, anytime you hear a pastor say, the Bible contains the Word of God, you might want to know a little bit more about what do they really mean. Because you know what many of them mean when they say that? Some verses are the Word of God and some verses are not. It contains it. And who, who's deciding what's the Word of God and what's not? Them. They're whatever church or whatever. No, we believe it's all the Word of God. Very different language than it contains the Word of God. It's all the Word of God. It's inspired by God. It's without error. That's the second part up there. Why is that? Well, people tell you all the time, oh, you know, it's been changed over the years, all these different translations, you know you can't trust it and all this kind of stuff. Well, you know there was a discovery in the 1940s in Israel, in Qumran, Israel. It's one of the places that we'll be going to next year if you go with uh, us to Israel. They found the Dead Sea Scrolls. Most of the Old Testament was found in these clay jars that were preserved, these uh, scrolls. And they found the whole book of Isaiah that was written over 200 years before the time of Jesus. And Isaiah has so many prophecies. And they compared what we had at that time in the book of Isaiah and compared it to what was in the Dead Sea Scrolls. And there was only minute little things that, that were different, but nothing that we lost the meaning of. You know what God said? Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word's going to stand forever. If you can believe a God who created the earth, raised Jesus from the dead, can't you believe that he can also protect his word? We have not. It, we, it's without error. And the third thing is, it's the final authority. We would never place any of man's writings or church's edicts or whatever equal to or above the Word of God. 
The Word of God is the final authority. Not our culture, not any political party. The Word of God is the final authority. That's what we base our lives on. So you can be secure in the Word of God. You get outside the Word of God, now what you have is man's interpretation, man's ideas and opinions and so forth. Let's keep going. Verse 37. Do not believe me unless I do the works of my Father. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. What is Jesus saying there? He's saying, I've made a lot of claims. You, you may not believe my claims, but you see very visible the works that I'm doing. These works of healing the blind and the deaf and the lame and, and, and all this type of stuff that he's doing. And, and next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about even a bigger one. He's saying, if you don't believe, believe the works. And what's important is you see that the Father is in Jesus and Jesus is in the Father, that unity, part of the Trinity there. Now, I was really thinking about this. I was thinking, what, what, how does this relate? Can I give an analogy of today? Well, I tell you what. When I like to shop, I like to do it online. Any online shoppers out there? I don't really care to go to a store. And I love where I, a lot of stuff I can get next day. So, But here's the thing. I will do a little research, too. So I see a company has a product they're selling that I want. And I read their claims, their information. But then I take it one step further. I want to look at the verified customer reviews. Anybody like that out there? I want to see what do people say about it. Do the claims match up with, with uh, the real life uh, uh, experience of customers? So that's what Jesus is saying right here. Look at the reviews. Look at the works that I'm doing. If you, can, if you can see these things, don't you think my claims are actually true? Because if you're buying a product and you say, man, they have a lot of great experience about it, about it, it must be right. One just recent one that we did, I didn't share this in other services, but man, I've been watching these things about these Giza dream sheets. Anybody seen the Giza? Man, we've got to have those. Best night's sleep ever. Yeah, you read, we got them, love my new sheets, oh man, and I don't get a cut off of any of that stuff too, but um, they're not cheap, but they are very nice sheets. So here's the thing, Uh, you can see it on the screen, the works of Jesus verify his words, and throughout the Bible we see the works of Jesus And it should help us to understand the words that go along with it. Now let's keep going. Verse 39 says, And they tried to seize him, but he escaped through their grasp. You know, that happened other times too, where they tried to to take Jesus down. They tried to arrest him and, and stone him or do whatever, but they couldn't. He escaped their grasp. I remember one time in Scripture, they were ready to throw him over a hill. And he just slipped through the crowd, it says. Which leads us to our last point of the four for related to be secure in an insecure world, and that, that's this. Be secure in God's timing and protection. It wasn't Jesus' time yet. Now, there would come, 
In a few months later, we're going to get there when we get to uh, Jesus in that final week before the, the uh, crucifixion. He laid his life down. He allowed himself to be arrested because it was the right time. This wasn't the right time. And I like this verse in 2 Thessalonians 3.3. 3. It says, but the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. I don't know about you, but why do we fear? Do we believe the word of God? And we talk about standing on the word of God, being secure in the word of God. Right here, it tells us he's faithful. We can know that he's going to strengthen us, and he is going to protect us from the evil one. Why is that helpful? Because I don't have to live my life in fear. I don't have to limit what I do in life like, oh, I can't do that because I'm, I'm afraid. You know, first time when we went to Israel, I remember people telling us, you're going to Israel? Why are you going to Israel? That's too dangerous over there. You know, and I, and I, I've started telling people this. I said, you know what? You're safer in Israel in the will of God than you are out on I-95 outside the will of God. Am I right? And you may be even safer in Israel outside the will of God than you are on I-95. I don't know. <laughs> it's a dangerous place, too. But we have to trust that God is protecting us. If we're his children, if he's his sheep, he's on the control switch. He's not going to be sleeping at the wheel. Now, we don't want to do anything foolish. We don't want to take life into our own hands and do things outside of his will. But the important thing is staying in the will of God and then just trusting him. Don't live in fear. Now, there will come a time when every one of us will, at some point in time, depart unless the Lord comes back in our lifetime. The Bible says there's a day to be born and a day to die. I don't know what that day that is, but why do I want to live my life in fear until that day comes? And if it comes next week or if it comes 40 years from now, let him decide that. You be faithful and trust that he is faithful. Amen? Amen. Verse 40. Then Jesus went back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing in the early days. There he stayed, and many people came to him, and they said, Though John never performed a sign, all that John said about this man was true. And in that place, many believed in Jesus. You know, in, in, uh, it's interesting there what the people were saying about John the Baptist. In uh, Matthew 11, Jesus said, There's no greater prophet born among woman, women than John. But look what it says there. John didn't do any signs. He didn't do any miracles. It actually gives me great hope. You know, God's not calling for us to be superstar Christians, doing all these miracles and so forth. What was the ministry of John? Pointing people to Jesus. And you see the last point up on the screen is our greatest ministry is pointing people to Jesus. Not to this church, not to a pastor, pointing people to Jesus. It's all about a relationship with Jesus. He's the one who's the source of our security. He's the one who gives us our salvation. He's the one who gives us wisdom for living our life. Everything is about him. We point people to Jesus. And then watch him work. Watch him change. I've been a follower of Jesus now for 41 years. And I've seen God do one thing after another in my life and how he's used me and so forth. But I know it's not me. I hope I'm not up here in my own strength and power today. That it's all about Jesus. 
Not ever drawing attention to ourselves. It's always about Him. Well, we're going to pray. In a moment, we're going to take communion. And communion is to remember what Jesus did for us. And uh, if you're not a believer yet in Jesus, I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray here in a moment. Don't take communion if you're not a follower of Jesus. But let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you that uh, you want us to be secure in our relationship with you, that we're in your hands and we're in the hands of Jesus. Help us to be more and more on fire for you. Help us to abide in you, Lord Jesus, as we seek more and more to know you in relationship and that our relationship with you is always comes ahead of our serving of you. Help us to trust your word, to base our life on your word. That you, you validated your word even with miracles. And Lord, give us that ministry of pointing people to Jesus. That you've put us in this world for such a time as this. And you've put people around us to point people to Jesus. Help us to be on mission. And while heads are bowed, I'm just going to ask those of you that, that, are, that are not secure, you're not maybe sure if you have a relationship with Jesus, or you've wandered away some way, and you want to pray, you want to invite Jesus Christ to be, you want to surrender your life to Jesus today, I'm just going to ask that you raise your hand up high. I'm going to pray for you right there in your seat. Just raise your hand up high as I look around. You're not joining the church. We don't even have membership here. You're saying yes to Jesus. I need that type of relationship with Jesus. Okay, others in the balcony. You're saying yes to Jesus right now. The Holy Spirit's speaking to you, saying, I know I need to raise my hand up. I need, yes, okay, another one. Others. Okay, you can put your hands down. Okay, good. Let me just lead you in this prayer. It's not about the exact words of this prayer, but it's about the meaning of it in your heart to the Lord. Just pray this under your breath. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus. Jesus, thank you for going to the cross for my sins and raising from the dead. I put my faith and trust in you. Forgive me now of all my sins. I want to be your sheep. And you be my shepherd. And I want to follow you in relationship from this day forward. So send your Holy Spirit to live in me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Getting into John chapter... 10. We're going to be starting in verse 22. And I titled this message, Secure in an Insecure World. Anybody out there think that we're maybe we're in a bit of an insecure world right now? I mean, look at all the things that we can't control in life. I mean, we, we live in Florida. It's hurricane season. We have no control over the weather like that, do we? That's just one area. Do we have control over the economy? Do we have control over our politics? Do we have control of what other countries are doing? Do we have control over health? I mean, there's so many things that we have and that you would almost say this world is very insecure. And I, I hate to have 
be the bearer of bad news because you're coming to church for encouragement, right? But somehow I believe that as we get closer and closer to Jesus' return, probably things aren't going to get any better. We are in an insecure world. But now let me tell you this. As Christ followers, I believe that God wants us to be secure. That we can live in that eye of the storm, so to speak. That we can have peace when others don't have peace. Because we, have, we belong to the Prince of Peace. So don't be discouraged by what's going on. I believe God wants us to be secure no matter what's going on around us. Because we, we can't control all that stuff. But Jesus can. And so we are going to be in God's Word as we're going to be studying it. And uh, we're going to look at four principles about uh, security. So let me just set the stage. Uh, uh, Pastor David Palmazano was teaching last week. And the, actually from chapter 7 through the first part of chapter 10 was dealing when Jesus was in the Jerusalem. And he was there for the uh, festival of the booths or tabernacles as it was also known. And then he departed there and it says now he's coming back in verse 22 for the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. So let's just look at verse 22. Then he came... Then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple courts walking in Solomon's colonnade. Now, the festival of dedication, also known as lights, is what today the Jewish people celebrate as Hanukkah. It's that time of year right around Christmas in December where they celebrate the freedom that they had from this evil king of Syria named Antiochus Epiphanes. Ooh, even his name sounds evil, doesn't it? And he, he desecrated the temple. It was a, this was at, at about uh, 160 years before the time of Christ. He set up an image of Jupiter, the, the pagan god Jupiter, in the temple. He sacrificed a pig on the altar and smeared blood inside the temple. Can you imagine how that just desecrated the temple? But freedom came in the year 164 B.C. from a guy named Judas Maccabees. And it was actually with his brothers. And they, had, they came and they got the Syrians out of there and they cleansed the temple and they lit the, the lampstands again. But they only had enough oil for one day. And those lamps stayed lit, according to uh, tradition, for eight days. It was like a supernatural thing. And that's why they celebrated for eight days. Well, Jesus was here at this time. They were still celebrating it. And so he was there for that, that festival. And uh, it says it was wintertime, we know, because it was December also. And he was on that temple courts on Solomon's colonnade. Probably because it was in an area that was protected by the temple. It's winter. And it was on the east side of the temple. And from that standpoint, probably the west winds off the Mediterranean may not have reached there. So it was kind of a little protected. Probably it was cold. Also, this is the same area that the birth of the church took place. On the day of Pentecost, Peter was preaching on this area. And so this has a lot of significance. Now, let's keep going. Verse 24. The Jews who were there gathered around him saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Now, we're going to dissect that verse for a moment because there's a lot that we, we miss because we're not reading it in the original language of Greek. The, when it says they gathered around him, in the original language, it means they hemmed him in. They boxed him in. They didn't just gather around like, oh, let's hear what Jesus has to say. No, this, these were not people friendly to Jesus. 
And by them asking the question, tell us plainly if you're the Messiah, they weren't really wanting to know. They were trying to trap him. He had told them so many times before, and we've even read them as we've gone through the, the book of John here, but they didn't want to believe. They had an agenda. They were trying to trap him in his words. They wanted to somehow get him arrested because he was a threat. See, I think it's really important for all of us because do you ever go through opposition for your Christian faith? Uh, Probably a lot of us do. And uh, I think it's important also to know that sometimes people are going to trap you and they're trying to get you to argue. I just, I have one thing I've learned is people are a lot more bold online than they are in person. Am I right? Be careful what you respond to, what you say online, because you might just be introducing an argument. If people are not open, you know the best thing we can do? Just be kind. There are people who are sincere, they're open, they want to know more about Jesus, about Christianity, but there are other people who are just looking to pick a fight. And don't go down that road. I think it's important as we see this next thing on the screen is that you can be perfect and still face opposition. Look at Jesus. He was perfect, and he faced opposition. Now, we're imperfect. Don't you think we're going to face opposition as well? Because what happens is when we are a part of the kingdom of God, it's like we've switched jerseys. We're on a different team now. And there is a team that's against us. The world, the world system is, is trying to... And you look at it, it's all around us. It's part of the insecurity that we have in this world around us is that the enemy does not want us to succeed, does not want the name of Jesus glorified and lifted up. So sometimes people will come against us and what we stand for and believe. And that's part of just what's going on here with Jesus. Let's keep reading, verse 25. And Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you did not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe because you're not my sheep. See, there was many works that Jesus was doing that were testifying. He was actually fulfilling prophecies in Isaiah 35, Isaiah 42, Psalm 146 about the works of the Messiah, such works as uh, the blind eyes opening, the deaf hearing, the lame walking. So Jesus was doing that, but he says, you're not my sheep. It's kind of a continuation of what, he was, what we were reading about last week in, in the first part of uh, John 10 about the shepherd. You know, Jesus is our great shepherd, and that uh, he's also the gate of the sheep pen and so forth. But by the way, I have to ask you, do you know what you call a hundred uh, sheep rolling down a hill? It's called a lamb slide. (laughs) Make sure you're still with me here. Oh, if you like that, I got more. (laughs) Did you hear about the the sheep that was arrested out here on Mitten Road? He made an illegal (laughs) U-turn. Okay, that's enough. I'll get back to the word. So... What's really important is this first point, as we're going to look at four points, is this. Don't prioritize your security in people or things above God. Because we're going to have people that are going to be against us. 
The world system is against us. And if you're looking to, for trying to build your security on stuff around you, it's like, when I got everybody that likes me and everybody, uh, you're not going to get it. Not if you're a follower of Jesus. Maybe if you're a worldly person, the world will like you. But don't prioritize your security in things or in people above God. You're going to see, that's where our security is going to come from. If you're going to live in the, in the eye of the storm, so to speak, and you're going to have a peace, it's going to come from that Prince of Peace who's living in our heart and ruling and reigning in us. And, and, and there's a, we can use wisdom and we can try to have security in a lot of different things. I'm not telling you you can't have security systems and protect yourself in various ways and so forth, but never prioritize that above Jesus. Well, let's keep going. Verse 27. It says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. That one verse is packed. We could do a whole sermon on that one verse. Look at the three things. It says, My sheep, so you see it's, it's related to Jesus. These are his sheep. They're not someone else's. There's, there's a relationship. It says, If you're his sheep, it's a test for all of us. These three things. They listen to his voice. And then it says, he knows them. In other words, there's a relationship. And the third thing is they follow him. There's obedience. So let's just talk about this for a moment. How do we hear the voice of God? The main way, and there's multiple ways, the main way is through the Word of God. This is why we study the Word of God. We go through books of the Bible, verse by verse. This is so important. You know what? As pastors, sometimes there's verses we'd like to skip. Oh, man, you know, people are going to leave the church if I share that. But it's all God's word. And so we stand on the word of God. This is how he speaks to us. But he also speaks to us through the still, small voice in our heart. That's the Holy Spirit guiding us, speaking to us, showing us things. Also, he speaks through us through pastors, spiritual leaders. I hope that God is speaking through me to you today. He also speaks to us through dreams and visions. Now, you've got to be careful with some of these things. Also, he can speak to us through circumstances, even through nature. It tells us that in Romans chapter 1, that people were without excuse and even believing in God because God speaks to us through nature. So a lot of ways that God can speak to us, but the primary way is that. And it says that not only does he speak to us, but he wants a relationship with us. Last week, Pastor David um, Palmzano had Matthew 7 up on the screen, and it said that uh, many are going to say on that last day, Lord, Lord, you know, let us in, so to speak. And he's going to say, you know, I don't know you. They're going to say, well, uh, we did all these great works. We know we did this for you, and we did that for you. We prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. And he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. See, God isn't looking for activity. He's looking for relationship. And you're going to see in a moment, our re relationship always comes first. Activity comes after that. It flows forth from our relationship. And that's why even in the order that you see it in the uh, chapter, in verse 27, it says we hear his voice, we have relationship, and then we follow him. We obey what he has to say to us. Look at these verses. They're kind of some strong verses, I think, for us because there are people out there who are not true sheep. They may claim to be a sheep, but they're not. They're pretenders, so to speak. 
Look at Titus 1.16. It says this. They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. So it's not about what we just claim. There should be something, or, 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 there should be something related to our life that's matching more of what, what we are saying about with our relationship with God. And then 1 John 2, 3 says, we know that we've come to know him. Remember, back to the relationship, if we keep his commands. So I have this point for us because I think whenever we're talking about works, it's always important that we realize we can't get the cart ahead of the horse, so to speak. We're not saved by our works. And so I wrote it this way. Good works don't save us, but they flow from our relationship with Jesus. Always make sure it's relationship with Jesus first. Religious people will sometimes forget the relationship part, and they focus on the works. Got to do this, got to do this, got to do this. Well, that's religion. And you can be manipulated by man in religion. Where man, man can get you to do certain things. The only thing I'm going to do is point you to Jesus here, point you to his word. I'm not going to manipulate you to get you to do something. So let's keep going. Verse 28. Jesus goes on and says, I, and he's talking about a sheep here. He says, I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. You see there the divinity of Jesus. Over and over in Scripture, Jesus and the Father, interchangeable in this situation. They're they're complete unity. Jesus is God. So here's our second thing is be secure in your relationship with God. You know why you can be secure in your relationship with God? Because you got Jesus got you by the hand. The Father's got you by the hand. I mean, that's better than Allstate. I mean, Allstate may say they have, you're in good hands, but we're in better hands. And so I'm totally 100% secure because I'm in the hands of Jesus. Now, people say, oh, can we, can we jump out of his hands? Well, why do we even ask that question? Why do we want to get out of his hands? But by the way, he says he measured the heavens by the span of his hand. That's pretty big hands, okay? But I think the big question is, is and I'm not going to answer it for you because I'm not a theologian like that. People, theologians have argued for hundreds of years, you know, can you, you know, jump out of the hands of God? Can you make this decision, this or that and so forth? Here's the only thing. It boils it down and makes it very simple for all of us. There's only one way to heaven, right? It's through Jesus. And so... You know, either people have a Jesus or they don't have Jesus. And here's what I know is you have Jesus, you're secure. And he doesn't say, I will give you eternal life. Go back to the passage. He says, I give them eternal life. They're not going to perish. You know why this is so important? Because if you're at odds with someone, broken relationship, not reconciled. Let's say you're in uh, Publix and you see them down at the end of the aisle. What are you going to do? Probably check out early, right? Not going to go down that aisle. Ooh, I'm going to avoid them. I see they're down there. But what if it's somebody you have a great relationship with? 
You're going to head down there, hug up on each other, going to love up on you. Oh, man, it's great seeing you. Satan does not want us to feel secure in our relationship with God. If he can make you feel insecure, then you don't feel like having a quiet time. You don't feel like you want to serve him. You're going to feel like, oh, God's mad at me. You know, he knows of this. And No, that's Satan. He's trying to always break that security. And I was thinking about this. The picture of security I have is like you take a child. And when they're, in, you know, you, you take them to a store. And we did it with our kids when they were young. And now we do it with our grandkids, especially when we take them out for ice cream. We'll, have a, we'll, have, we'll take our grandchildren by the hand. There's no way we're going to let them go without us holding their hand in a parking lot with moving cars around. But have you ever pulled into a parking lot and you see a, a two- or three-year-old and you're thinking, where's their parent? They're out there wander, walking around and it's like, I mean, that's, that's a bad situation, right? God's got us by the hand. We are secure and protected, just like we would protect our grandchildren or our children. Now, I have to tell you this. Barb didn't want me to tell you this story, but we're imperfect parents. And uh, there was a time when we lived in Iowa when our son Luke was probably about five or six years old. We had driven to church separately. We got home after church, and my wife says, well, where's Luke? And I said, I thought he came home with you. We left our son at church. So we had to go back, look pretty foolish as parents. There he was, waiting for us. And, uh, of course, we only lived about a mile, mile and a half from the church and so forth. He wasn't, we weren't apart too long. But we're imperfect parents. He's perfect. He says he'd never leave us or forsake us. In fact, look at this verse that contains that part. Deuteronomy 31.6 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. He was talking to the nation of Israel about the enemies of Israel. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. We might, but he won't. So let's be secure in the relationship with God. Now, this is, what, this is what's so hard to understand and get our minds around. The, the free will of man versus the sovereignty of God. I believe in both of them. And sometimes I think people are trying to reconcile those, and I don't think God's called us to reconcile those two. I believe in both of them. But you know what? Sometimes when we get to heaven, we'll understand these things that maybe don't make a lot of sense to us. So all I know is we're only getting to heaven through Jesus. Let's stay connected to Jesus Let's not worry and sit there worrying about jumping out of his hands or not, okay? Look at this verse, because I think this is such a powerful verse related to our salvation and the assurance of our salvation. 1 John chapter 5, verse 11 through 13 says this, and this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has a Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Doesn't that kind of say it very clearly? Isn't that more clear than I could even say it? You either have Jesus or you don't have Jesus. You have Jesus, you have eternal life. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have eternal life. And look what it says there, the last part I, I had underlined. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know. That's the key word. So that you may know that you have eternal life. God doesn't want it to be a mystery. You know, you hear these jokes about, you know, when you die, get into the pearly gates and 
Peter's standing there. Why should I let you in and so forth? I mean, they make for fun little jokes and stories and so forth. They're not biblical. There's only one way we're going to get there. We have the Son. We have Jesus Christ. And, and you don't have to ever doubt about your salvation. Now, if you don't, if you're a pretender, if you claim to know God, but you're not a real sheep, well, we can, we can make that change today. We can pray, and you can make sure today, on this day of July 3rd, 2022, that you settled it once and for all. See, pretenders, they have no change taking place in their life. Their words don't match their actions. They lack relationship. But I do have to say this. Our enemy, you know he's a liar, right? So what does he do with saved people? He tries to get them to believe they're not saved. And what's he do to the unsaved people? He tries to get them to think, you're fine, you're okay. All roads are going to heaven. There's many ways. You're fine. You're a good person. Oh, look at yourself compared to that person. You're way better than them. He tries to give false security to the unsaved, and he tries to take away the security of the saved. That's why Jesus is teaching about his real sheep are secure in his hands. Let's be secure in the hands of Jesus, all right? Now, there are some proofs that I believe that Scripture can give us uh, or, or of our salvation. This isn't a full list, and just to help some of you that might still be questioning in your life. First of all, proofs of salvation. The promises that are in Scripture is number one by far. Such verses as, as Romans chapter 10 says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you, what? Fill in the rest. Will be saved. Not might, you will be saved. So we can know there's a lot of assurances, of promises in, in Scripture. Next is that once we become a Christian, we should start to feel that our desires are changing. We're changing. We want to please God. Now, it doesn't make us perfect. None of us are perfect. We then, because we are saved, we have the Holy Spirit living in us, and He's convicting us of sin, and He's leading us us in our lives. If you can sin and it doesn't bother you, there's no conviction of the Holy Spirit at all, I think you're in shaky ground. Because I really believe when the Holy Spirit's living in you, the Scripture teaches us that, and we'll get to it when we get, I think, into John 16, He convicts us of sin. That's one of His roles. And so I, I, I think that, you know, sometimes people, I've heard this said before, is that if you're trying to straddle the fence, so to speak, got one foot in the world, one foot, foot in the kingdom of God, you got too much of the world to be happy in the kingdom of God. You got too much of the kingdom of God in you to be happy in the world. Now, I really don't know where that fence is at and how you straddle that and so forth. All I know is be all in for the kingdom of God. Settle it once and for all. So here, here's our next thing, and I like to share this because it's so important when we talk about uh, works and so forth. I don't ever want people to think that we're somehow in a works relationship with God, but here's this. Gratitude to Jesus should guide our living. If you're truly saved, you're going to be thankful for what he's done for you, and it's going, to, it's going to help you as you live your life and what you do with your life, whether you're a giver or taker, whether you serve or just waiting to be served. It's going to change you because of your gratitude to Jesus. You're going to want to serve the Lord. 
Well, let's keep going. Verse 31. Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. Now, we've read that before, haven't we? They're always picking up these stones. It just seems like they're a little stone happy here. But Jesus said to them, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We're not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. They knew what Jesus was saying. Now, the cults don't seem to understand this, do they? They say things like, well, you know, Jesus never said he was God. The Bible does not say that he was God. Now, look at this here. The enemies of Jesus knew what he was saying, and they knew the original language. They could understand what he was saying, and they were ready to stone him because he was making this claim about being God. So there was no question for these people. Verse 34, Jesus answered them, is it not written in your law? I have said, and now Jesus is going to quote part of Psalm 82. He says, I have said, you are God's. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be set aside, what about the one whom the Father set apart from his very own and sent into the world? Why then you, do you accuse me of blasphemy? Because I said, I am God's son. Now that's a little bit hard to understand. I had to really do some studying on this one. What is, what is this Jesus saying there? He's saying, you guys are inconsistent. You believe the word of God. It can't be set aside. You, you know Psalm 82. And in Psalm 82, God's words called the earthly judges gods. Little g, gods. Why were the earthly judges called gods? Because they were carrying out judgment. They were carrying out different uh, verdicts against people using the principles, the law of God. So they had people's destiny in their hands. Like, like a God. And so the scripture called these earthly judges gods. And what Jesus is saying, you have those people that you know or call gods. Here I come with all my works, and I say I'm the son of God, and, and yet you say it's blasphemy? He was just trying to show them their inconsistency. But I think there's something really important here as you look at verse 35. And Jesus, I don't want you to miss what Jesus said there. He said, scripture cannot be set aside. You should underline that if you, if, in your Bibles. That is so important, which lends itself to our third thing about being secure. We need to be secure in God's Word. That's where our security, it, it, we are secure in the hands of God, in our relationship with Him, in other words, but we're secure in the Word of God. It can't be set aside. And I, I have some things up on the screen that, as we think about the Word of God, they're so important for us because I know some of you come from different backgrounds. First of all, the Bible, we believe, is all inspired by God. Forty different authors wrote over 1,500 years, three different languages. Consistency from Genesis to Revelation. It's all inspired. So these 40 different authors may have penned it, but it was the Holy Spirit showing him exactly what to write. Now, I'm, I'm going to give you a little bit of a warning here because there are churches that are out there today who have, they will open up a Bible and they will stand before their people and they will say, this contains the Word of God. 
Now, anytime you hear a pastor say the Bible contains the Word of God, you might want to know a little bit more about what do they really mean. Because you know what many of them mean when they say that? Some verses are the Word of God and some verses are not. It contains it. And who is deciding what's the Word of God and what's not? Them. Their whatever church or whatever. No, we believe it's all the Word of God. Very different language than it contains the Word of God. It's all the Word of God. It's inspired by God. It's without error. That's the second part up there. Why is that? Well, people tell you all the time, oh, you know, it's been changed over the years, all these different translations. You know you can't trust it and all this kind of stuff. Well, you know, there was a discovery in the 1940s in Israel, in Qumran, Israel. It's one of the places that we'll be going to next year. If you go with uh, us to Israel, they found the Dead Sea Scrolls. Most of the Old Testament was found in these clay jars that were preserved, these uh, scrolls. And they found the whole book of Isaiah that was written over 200 years before the time of Jesus. And Isaiah has so many prophecies. And they compared what we had at that time in the book of Isaiah and compared it to what was in the Dead Sea Scrolls. And there was only minute little things that, that were different, but nothing that we lost the meaning of. You know what God said? Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word's going to stand forever. If you can believe a God who created the earth, raised Jesus from the dead, can't you believe that he can also protect his word? We have not. It, we, it's without error. And the third thing is, it's the final authority. We would never place any of man's writings or church's edicts or whatever equal to or above the word of God. The word of God is the final authority. Not our culture, not any political party. The Word of God is the final authority. That's what we base our lives on. So you can be secure in the Word of God. You get outside the Word of God, now what you have is man's interpretation, man's ideas and opinions and so forth. Let's keep going. Verse 37. Do not believe me unless I do the works of my Father. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. What is Jesus saying there? He's saying, I've made a lot of claims. You, you may not believe my claims, but you see very visible the works that I'm doing. These works of healing the blind and the deaf and the lame and, and, and all this type of stuff that he's doing. And and the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about even a bigger one. He's saying, if you don't believe, believe the works. And what's important is you see that the Father is in Jesus, and Jesus is in the Father, that unity, part of the Trinity there. Now, I was really thinking about this. I was thinking, what, what, how does this relate? Can I give an analogy of today? Well, I tell you what, when I like to shop, I like to do it online. Any online shoppers out there? I don't really care to go to a store, and I love or I, a lot of stuff I can get next day. So, But here's the thing. I will do a little research, too. So I see a company has a product they're selling that I want, and I read their claims, their information. But then I take it one step further. I want to look at the verified customer reviews. Anybody like that out there? I want to see what do people say about it. 
do the claims match up with, with uh, the real-life uh, uh, experience of customers? So that's what Jesus is saying right here. Look at the reviews. Look at the works that I'm doing. If you can, if you can see these things, don't you think my claims are actually true? Because if you buy a product and you say, man, they have a lot of great experience about it, it must be right. One just recent one that we did, I didn't share this in the other services, but man, I've been watching these things about these Giza dream sheets. Anybody seen the Giza? Man, we got to have those. Best night's sleep ever. Yeah, you read, we got them. Love my new sheets. Oh, man. And I don't get a cut off of any of that stuff, too. But um, they're not cheap, but they are very nice sheets. So here's the thing. Uh, you can see it on the screen. The works of Jesus verify his words. And throughout the Bible, we see the works of Jesus, and it should help us to understand the words that go along with it. Now let's keep going. Verse 39 says, and they tried to seize him, but he escaped through their grasp. You know, that happened in other times, too, where they tried to, to take Jesus down. They tried to arrest him and, and stone him or do whatever, but they couldn't. He escaped their grasp. I remember one time in Scripture, they were ready to throw him over a hill, and he just slipped through the crowd, it says, which leads us to our last point of the four for related to be secure and insecure world, and that that's this. Be secure in God's timing and protection. It wasn't Jesus' time yet. Now, there would come in a few months later, we're going to get there when we get to uh, Jesus in that final week before the, the uh, crucifixion. He laid his life down. He allowed himself to be arrested because it was the right time. This wasn't the right time. And I like this verse in 2 Thessalonians 3.3. 3. It says, but the Lord is faithful. And he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. I don't know about you, but why do we fear? Do we believe the word of God? And we talk about standing on the word of God, being secure in the word of God. Right here, it tells us he's faithful. We can know that he's going to strengthen us and he is going to protect us from the evil one. Why is that helpful? Because I don't have to live my life in fear. I don't have to limit what I do in life like, oh, I can't do that because I'm, I'm afraid. You know, first time when we went to Israel, I remember people telling us, you're going to Israel? Why are you going to Israel? That's too dangerous over there. You know, and I, I, I've started telling people this. I said, you know what? You're safer in Israel in the will of God than you are out on I-95 outside the will of God. Am I right? And you may be even safer in Israel outside the will of God than you are on I-95. I don't know. <laughs> it's a dangerous place, too. But we have to trust that God is protecting us. If we're his children, if he's his sheep, he's on the control switch. He's not going to be sleeping at the wheel. Now, we don't want to do anything foolish. We don't want to take life into our own hands and do things outside of his will. But the important thing is staying in the will of God and then just trusting him. Don't live in fear. Now, there will come a time when every one of us will, at some point in time, depart unless the Lord comes back in our lifetime. The Bible says there's a day to be born and a day to die. I don't know what that day that is, but why do I want to live my life in fear until that day comes? 
And if it comes next week or if it comes 40 years from now, let him decide that. You be faithful and trust that he is faithful. Amen? Amen. Verse 40. Then Jesus went back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing in the early days. There he stayed. And many people came to him. And they said, though John never performed a sign, all that John said about this man was true. And in that place, many believed in Jesus. You know, in... in, uh, it's interesting there what the people were saying about John the Baptist. In uh, Matthew 11, Jesus said, There's no greater prophet born among woman, women than John. But look what it says there. John didn't do any signs. He didn't do any miracles. It actually gives me great hope. You know, God's not calling for us to be superstar Christians, doing all these miracles and so forth. What was the ministry of John, pointing people to Jesus. And you see the last point up on the screen is our greatest ministry is pointing people to Jesus. Not to this church, not to a pastor, pointing people to Jesus. It's all about a relationship with Jesus. He's the one who's the source of our security. He's the one who gives us our salvation. He's the one who gives us wisdom for living our life. Everything is about him. We point people to Jesus, and then watch him work. Watch him change. I've been a follower of Jesus now for 41 years, and I've seen God do one thing after another in my life and how he's used me and so forth, but I know it's not me. I hope I'm not up here in my own strength and power today, that it's all about Jesus, not ever drawing attention to ourselves. It's always about him. We're going to pray. In a moment, we're going to take communion. And communion is to remember what Jesus did for us. And uh, if you're not a believer yet in Jesus, I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray here in a moment. Don't take communion if you're not a follower of Jesus. But let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you that uh, you want us to be secure in our relationship with you. That we're in your hands and we're in the hands of Jesus Help us to be more and more on fire for you. Help us to abide in you, Lord Jesus, as we seek more and more to know you in relationship and that our relationship with you always comes ahead of our serving of you. Help us to trust your word, to base our life on your word, that you, you validated your word even with miracles. And Lord, give us that ministry of pointing people to Jesus that you've put us in this world for such a time as this, and you've put people around us to point people to Jesus. Help us to be on mission. And while heads are bowed, I'm just going to ask those of you that, that, are, that are not secure, you're not maybe sure if you have a relationship with Jesus, or you've wandered away some way, and you want to pray, you want to invite Jesus Christ to be... You want to surrender your life to Jesus today. I'm just going to ask that you raise your hand up high. I'm going to pray for you right there in your seat. Just raise your hand up high. So I look around. You're not joining the church. We don't even have membership here. You're saying yes to Jesus. I need that type of relationship with Jesus. Okay? Others. In the balcony. You're saying yes to Jesus right now. 
the Holy Spirit's speaking to you, saying, I know I need to raise my hand up. I need, yes, okay, another one. Others. Okay, you can put your hands down. Okay, good. Let me just lead you in this prayer. It's not about the exact words of this prayer, but it's about the meaning of it in your heart to the Lord. Just pray this under your breath. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus. Jesus, thank you for going to the cross for my sins and raising from the dead. I put my faith and trust in you. Forgive me now of all my sins. I want to be your sheep, and you be my shepherd. And I want to follow you in relationship from this day forward. So send your Holy Spirit to live in me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Getting into John chapter 10. We're going to be starting in verse 22. And I titled this message, Secure in an Insecure World. Anybody out there think that we're maybe we're in a bit of an insecure world right now? I mean, look at all the things that we can't control in life. I mean, we, we live in Florida. It's hurricane season. We have no control over the weather like that, do we? That's just one area. Do we have control over the economy? Do we have control over our politics? Do we have control of what other countries are doing? Do we have control over health? I mean, there's so many things that we have, and that you would almost say this world is very insecure. And I, I hate to have be the bearer of bad news because you're coming to church for encouragement, right? But somehow I believe that as we get closer and closer to Jesus' return, probably things aren't going to get any better. We are in an insecure world. But now let me tell you this. As Christ followers, I believe that God wants us to be secure, that we can live in that eye of the storm, so to speak, that we can have peace when others don't have peace because we, have, we belong to the Prince of Peace. So don't be discouraged by what's going on. I believe God wants us to be secure no matter what's going on around us because we, we can't control all that stuff. But Jesus can. And so we are going to be in God's Word as we're going to be studying it. And uh, we're going to look at four principles about uh, security. So let me just set the stage. Uh, uh, Pastor David Palmazano was teaching last week. And the, actually from chapter 7 through the first part of chapter 10 was dealing when Jesus was in the Jerusalem, and he was there for the uh, festival of the booths, or tabernacles, as it was also known. And then he departed there, and it says now he's coming back in verse 22 for the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. So let's just look at verse 22. Then he came, then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple courts walking in Solomon's colonnade. Now, the festival of dedication, also known as lights, is what today the Jewish people celebrate as Hanukkah. It's that time of year right around Christmas in December where they celebrate the freedom that they had from this evil king of Syria named Antiochus Epiphanes. Ooh, even his name sounds evil, doesn't it? And he, he desecrated the temple. It was a, this was at about... Uh, 160 years before the time of Christ. 
He set up an image of Jupiter, the, the pagan god Jupiter, in the temple. He sacrificed a pig on the altar and smeared blood inside the temple. Can you imagine how that just desecrated the temple? But freedom came in the year 164 B.C. from a guy named Judas Maccabees. And it was actually with his brothers. And they, had, they came and they got the Syrians out of there and they cleansed the temple and they lit the, the lampstands again. They only had enough oil for one day. And those lamps stayed lit, according to uh, tradition, for eight days. It was like a supernatural thing. And that's why they celebrated for eight days. Well, Jesus was here. At this time, they were still celebrating it. And so he was there for that, that festival. And uh, it says it was wintertime, we know, because it was December also. And he was on that temple courts on Solomon's colonnade. Probably because it was in an area that was protected by the temple. It's winter, and it was on the east side of the temple. And from that standpoint, probably the west winds off the Mediterranean may not have reached there, so it was kind of a little protected. Probably it was cold. Also, this is the same area that the birth of the church took place. On the day of Pentecost, Peter was preaching on this area. And so this has a lot of significance. Now, let's keep going. Verse 24. The Jews who were there gathered around him, saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Now, we're going to dissect that verse for a moment because there's a lot that we, we miss because we're not reading it in the original language of Greek. The, when it says they gathered around him, in the original language it means they hemmed him in, they boxed him in. They didn't just gather around like, Oh, let's hear what Jesus has to say. No, this, these were not people friendly to Jesus. And by them asking the question, tell us plainly if you're the Messiah, they weren't really wanting to know. They were trying to trap him. He had told them so many times before, and we've even read them as we've gone through the, the book of John here, but they didn't want to believe. They had an agenda. They were trying to trap him in his words. They wanted to somehow get him arrested because he was a threat. See, I think it's really important for all of us because do you ever go through opposition for your Christian faith? Uh, probably a lot of us do. And uh, I think it's important also to know that sometimes people are going to trap you and they're trying to get you to argue. I just, I, I, one thing I've learned is people are a lot more bold online than they are in person. Am I right? Be careful what you respond to, what you say online, because you might just be introducing an argument. If people are not open, you know the best thing we can do? Just be kind. There are people who are sincere, they're open, they want to know more about Jesus, about Christianity, but there are other people who are just looking to pick a fight. And don't go down that road. I think it's important as we see this next thing on the screen is that you can be perfect and still face opposition. Look at Jesus. He was perfect, and he faced opposition. Now, we're imperfect. Don't you think we're going to face opposition as well? Because what happens is when we are a part of the kingdom of God, it's like we've switched jerseys. We're on a different team now. And there is a team that's against us. The world, the world system, is, is trying to... And you look at it, it's all around us. It's part of the insecurity that we have in this world around us is that the enemy does not want us to succeed, does not want the name of Jesus glorified and lifted up. 
So sometimes people will come against us and what we stand for and believe. And that's part of just what's going on here with Jesus. Let's keep reading, verse 25. And Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you did not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe because you're not my sheep. See, there was many works that Jesus was doing that were testifying. He was actually fulfilling prophecies in Isaiah 35, Isaiah 42, Psalm 146 about the works of the Messiah. Such works as uh, the blind eyes opening, the deaf hearing, the lame walking. So Jesus was doing that, but he says, you're not my sheep. It's kind of a continuation of what he was, what we were reading about last week in, in the first part of uh, John 10 about the shepherd. You know, Jesus is our great shepherd, and that uh, he's also the gate of the sheep pen and so forth. But by the way, I have to ask you, do you know what you call a hundred uh, sheep rolling down a hill? It's called a lamb slide. <laughs> Make sure you're still with me here. Oh, if you like that, I got more. <laughs> Did you hear about the, the sheep that was arrested out here on Mitten Road? He made an illegal U-turn. <laughs> okay, that's enough. I'll get back to the word. So, what's really important is this first point, as we're going to look at four points, is this. Don't prioritize your security in people or things above God. Because we're going to have people that are going to be against us. The world system is against us. And if you're looking for trying to build your security on stuff around you, it's like, when I got everybody that likes me and everybody, you're not going to get it. Not if you're a follower of Jesus. Maybe if you're a worldly person, the world will like you. But don't prioritize your security in things or in people above God. You're going to see, that's where our security is going to come from. If you're going to live in the, in the eye of the storm, so to speak, and you're going to have a peace, it's going to come from that Prince of Peace who's living in our heart and ruling and reigning in us. And, and, and there's a, we can use wisdom and we can try to have security in a lot of different things. I'm not telling you you can't have security systems and protect yourself in various ways and so forth, but never prioritize that above Jesus. Well, let's keep going. Verse 27. It says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. That one verse is packed. We could do a whole sermon on that one verse. Look at the three things. It says, My sheep. So you see it's, it's related to Jesus. These are his sheep. They're not someone else's. There's, there's a relationship. It says, If you're his sheep, it's a test for all of us. These three things. They listen to his voice. And then it says, he knows them. In other words, there's a relationship. And the third thing is they follow him. There's obedience. So let's just talk about this for a moment. How do we hear the voice of God? The main way, there's multiple ways, the main way is through the Word of God. This is why we study the Word of God. We go through books of the Bible, verse by verse. This is so important. You know what? As pastors, sometimes there's verses we'd like to skip. Oh, man, you know, people are going to leave the church if I share that. But it's all God's Word. And so we stand on the Word of God. This is how He speaks to us. But He also speaks to us through the still, small voice in our heart. That's the Holy Spirit. 
guiding us, speaking to us, showing us things. Also, he speaks through us through pastors, spiritual leaders. I hope that God is speaking through me to you today. He also speaks to us through dreams and visions. Now, you've got to be careful with some of these things. Also, he can speak to us through circumstances, even through nature. It tells us that in Romans chapter 1, that people were without excuse and even believing in God because God speaks to us through nature. So a lot of ways that God can speak to us, but the primary way is that. And it says that not only does he speak to us, but he wants a relationship with us. Last week, Pastor David uh, Palmzano had Matthew 7 up on the screen. And it said that uh, many are going to say on that last day, Lord, Lord, you know, let us in, so to speak. And he's going to say, you know, I don't know you. They're going to say, well, uh, we did all these great works. We know we did this for you and we did that for you. We prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. And he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. See, God isn't looking for activity. He's looking for relationship. And you're going to see in a moment, our relationship always comes first. Activity comes after that. It flows forth from our relationship. And that's why even in the order that you see it in the uh, chapter, in verse 27, it says we hear his voice, we have relationship, and then we follow him. We obey what he has to say to us. Look at these verses. They're kind of some strong verses, I think, for us because... There are people out there who are not true sheep. They may claim to be a sheep, but they're not. They're pretenders, so to speak. Look at Titus 1.16. It says this. They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. So it's not about what we just claim. There should, be something, or, 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 there should be something related to our life that's matching more of what, what we are saying about with our relationship with God. And then 1 John 2, 3 says, we know that we've come to know him. Remember, back to the relationship, if we keep his commands. So I have this point for us because I think whenever we're talking about works, it's always important that we realize we can't get the cart ahead of the horse, so to speak. We're not saved by our works. And so I wrote it this way. Good works don't save us, but they flow from our relationship with Jesus. Always make sure it's relationship with Jesus first. Religious people will sometimes forget the relationship part, and they focus on the works. Got to do this, got to do this, got to do this. Well, that's religion. And you can be manipulated by man in religion. Where man, man can get you to do certain things. only thing I'm going to do is point you to Jesus here, point you to his word. I'm not going to manipulate you to get you to do something. So let's keep going. Verse 28. Jesus goes on and says, I, and he's talking about a sheep here. He says, I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. You see there the divinity of Jesus. Over and over in Scripture, Jesus and the Father, interchangeable in this situation. They're they're complete unity. Jesus is God. So here's our second thing is be secure in your relationship with God. 
You know why you can be secure in your relationship with God? Because you got Jesus got you by the hand, the Father's got you by the hand. I mean, that's better than Allstate. I mean, Allstate may say they have you're in good hands, but we're in better hands. And so I'm totally 100% secure because I'm in the hands of Jesus. Now, people say, oh, can we, can we jump out of his hands? Well, why do we even ask that question? Why do we want to get out of his hands? But by the way, he says he measured the heavens by the span of his hand. That's pretty big hands, okay? But I think the big question is, is that, and I'm not going to answer it for you because I'm not a theologian like that. People, theologians have argued for hundreds of years, you know, can you, you know, jump out of the hands of God? Can you make this decision, this or that and so forth? Here's the only thing. It boils it down and makes it very simple for all of us. There's only one way to heaven, right? It's through Jesus. And so, you know, either people have a Jesus or they don't have Jesus. And here's what I know is you have Jesus, you're secure. And he doesn't say, I will give you eternal life. Go back to the passage. It says, I give them eternal life. They're not going to perish. You know why this is so important? Because if you're at odds with someone, broken relationship, not reconciled, let's say you're in uh, Publix and you see them down at the end of the aisle. What are you going to do? Probably check out early, right? Not going to go down that aisle. Ooh, I'm going to avoid them. I see they're down there. But what if it's somebody you have a great relationship with? You're going to head down there, hug up on each other, going to love up on you. Oh, man, it's great seeing you. Satan does not want us to feel secure in our relationship with God. If he can make you feel insecure, then you don't feel like having a quiet time. You don't feel like you want to serve him. You're going to feel like, oh, God's mad at me. You know, he knows all this. And No, that's Satan. He's trying to always break that security. And I, and I was thinking about this. The, the picture of security I have is like you take a child, and when they're, and, you, know, you, you take them to a store. And we did it with our kids when they were young, and now we do it with our grandkids, especially when we take them out for ice cream. We'll, have a, we'll, have, we'll take our grandchildren by the hand. There's no way we're going to let them go without us holding their hand in a parking lot with moving cars around. But have you ever pulled into a parking lot and you see a, a two- or three-year-old and you're thinking, where's their parent? They're out there wander, walking around and it's like, I mean, that's, that's a bad situation, right? God's got us by the hand. We are secure and protected, just like we would protect our grandchildren or our children now, I have to tell you this. Barb didn't want me to tell you this story, but we're imperfect parents. And uh, there was a time when we lived in Iowa when our son Luke was probably about five or six years old. We had driven to church separately. We got home after church, and my wife says, well, where's Luke? And I said, I thought he came home with you. We left our son at church. So we had to go back, look pretty foolish as parents. There he was, waiting for us. And, uh, of course, we only lived about a mile, mile and a half from the church and so forth. He wasn't, we weren't apart too long. But we're imperfect parents. He's perfect. He says he'd never leave us or forsake us. In fact, look at this verse that contains that part. 
Deuteronomy 31.6 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. He was talking to the nation of Israel about the enemies of Israel. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. We might, but he won't. So let's be secure in the relationship with God. Now, this is, what, this is what's so hard to understand and get our minds around. The, the free will of man versus the sovereignty of God. I believe in both of them. And sometimes I think people are trying to reconcile those, and I don't think God's called us to reconcile those two. I believe in both of them. But you know what? Sometimes when we get to heaven, we'll understand these things that maybe don't make a lot of sense to us. So all I know is we're only getting to heaven through Jesus. Let's stay connected to Jesus. Let's not worry and sit there worrying about jumping out of his hands or not, okay? Look at this verse, because I think this is such a powerful verse related to our salvation and the assurance of our salvation. 1 John chapter 5, verse 11 through 13 says this. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has a Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Doesn't that kind of say it very clearly? Isn't that more clear than I could even say it? You either have Jesus or you don't have Jesus. You have Jesus, you have eternal life. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have eternal life. And look what it says there, the last part I had underlined. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know. That's the key word. So that you may know that you have eternal life. God doesn't want it to be a mystery. You know, you hear these jokes about, you know, when you die, getting to the pearly gates and Peter's standing there, why should I let you in and so forth. I mean, they make for fun little jokes and stories and so forth. They're not biblical. There's only one way we're going to get there. We have the Son. We have Jesus Christ. And, and you don't have to ever doubt about your salvation. Now, if you don't, if you're a pretender, if you claim to know God, but you're not a real sheep, well, we can, we can make that change today. We can pray, and you can make sure today, on this day of July 3rd, 2022, that you settled it once and for all. See, pretenders, they have no change taking place in their life. Their words don't match their actions. They lack relationship. But I do have to say this. Our enemy, you know he's a liar, right? So what does he do with saved people? He tries to get them to believe they're not saved. And what's he do to the unsaved people? He tries to get them to think, you're fine, you're okay. All roads are going to heaven. There's many ways. You're fine. You're a good person. Oh, look at yourself compared to that person. You're way better than them. He tries to give false security to the unsaved, and he tries to take away the security of the saved. That's why Jesus is teaching about his real sheep are secure in his hands. Let's be secure in the hands of Jesus, all right? Now, there are some proofs that I believe that Scripture can give us uh, or, or of our salvation. This isn't a full list, and just to help some of you that might still be questioning in your life. First of all, proofs of salvation. The promises that are in Scripture is number one by far. Such verses as, as Romans chapter 10 says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you, what? Fill in the rest. Will be saved. Not might, 
you will be saved. So we can know there's a lot of assurances, of promises in, in Scripture. Next is that once we become a Christian, we should start to feel that our desires are changing. We're changing. We want to please God. Now, it doesn't make us perfect. None of us are perfect. We then, because we are saved, we have the Holy Spirit living in us, and he's convicting us of sin, and he's leading us in our lives. If you can sin, and it doesn't bother you, there's no conviction of the Holy Spirit at all, I think you're in shaky ground. Because I really believe when the Holy Spirit's living in you, the Scripture teaches us that, and we'll get to it when we get, I think, into John 16, he convicts us of sin. That's one of his roles. And so I, I, I think that, you know, sometimes people, I've heard this said before, is that if you're trying to straddle the fence, so to speak, you got one foot in the world, one foot, foot in the kingdom of God, you got too much of the world to be happy in the kingdom of God, you got too much of the kingdom of God in you to be happy in the world. Now, I really don't know where that fence is at and how you straddle that and so forth. All I know is be all in for the kingdom of God. Settle it once and for all. So here, here's our next thing, and I like to share this because it's so important when we talk about uh, works and so forth. I don't ever want people to think that we're somehow in a works relationship with God, but here's this. Gratitude to Jesus should guide our living. If you're truly saved, you're going to be thankful for what he's done for you, and it's going, to, it's going to help you as you live your life and what you do with your life, whether you're a giver or taker, whether you serve or just waiting to be served. It's going to change you because of your gratitude to Jesus. You're going to want to serve the Lord. Well, let's keep going. Verse 31. Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. Now, we've read that before, haven't we? They're always picking up these stones. It just seems like they're a little stone happy here. But Jesus said to them, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We're not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. They knew what Jesus was saying. Now, the cults don't seem to understand this, do they? They say things like, well, you know, Jesus never said he was God. The Bible does not say that he was God. Now, look at this here. The enemies of Jesus knew what he was saying, and they knew the original language. They could understand what he was saying, and they were ready to stone him because he was making this claim about being God. So there was no question for these people. Verse 34, and Jesus answered them, is it not written in your law, I have said, and now Jesus is going to quote part of Psalm 82. He says, I have said, you are God's. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be set aside, what about the one whom the Father set apart from his very own and sent into the world? Why then you, do you accuse me of blasphemy? Because I said, I am God's son. Now that's a little bit hard to understand. I had to really do some studying on this one. What is, what is this Jesus saying there? He's saying, you guys are inconsistent. You believe the word of God. It can't be set aside. You, you know Psalm 82. And in Psalm 82, God's words called the earthly judges gods. Little g, gods. Why were the earthly judges called gods? 
because they were carrying out judgment. They were carrying out different uh, verdicts against people using the principles, the law of God. So they had people's destiny in their hands like, like a God. And so the scripture called these earthly judges gods. And what Jesus is saying, you have those people that you know or call gods. Here I come with all my works, and I say I'm the son of God, and, and yet you say it's blasphemy. He was just trying to show them their inconsistency. But I think there's something really important here as you look at verse 35. And Jesus, I don't want you to miss what Jesus said there. He said, Scripture cannot be set aside. You should underline that if you, if, in your Bibles. That is so important, which lends itself to our third thing about being secure. We need to be secure in God's Word. That's where our security it, it, we are secure in the hands of God, in our relationship with Him, in other words, but we're secure in the Word of God. It can't be set aside. And I, I have some things up on the screen that, as we think about the Word of God, they're so important for us, because I know some of you come from different backgrounds. First of all, the Bible, we believe, is all inspired by God. Forty different authors wrote over 1,500 years, three different languages. Consistency from Genesis to Revelation. It's all inspired. So these 40 different authors may have penned it, but it was the Holy Spirit showing them exactly what to write. Now, I'm, I'm going to give you a little bit of a warning here. Because there are churches that are out there today who have, they will open up a Bible and they will stand before their people and they will say, this contains the Word of God. Now, anytime you hear a pastor say, the Bible contains the Word of God, you might want to know a little bit more about what do they really mean. Because you know what many of them mean when they say that? Some verses are the Word of God and some verses are not. It contains it. And who, who's deciding what's the Word of God and what's not? Them. They're, they're, they're whatever, church or whatever. No, we believe it's all the Word of God. Very different language than it contains the Word of God. It's all the Word of God. It's inspired by God. It's without error. That's the second part up there. Why is that? Well, people tell you all the time, oh, you know, it's been changed over the years, all these different translations. You know you can't trust it and all this kind of stuff. Well, you know, there was a discovery in the 1940s in Israel, in Qumran, Israel is one of the places that we'll be going to next year. If you go with uh, us to Israel, they found the Dead Sea Scrolls. Most of the Old Testament was found in these clay jars that were preserved, these uh, scrolls. And they found the whole book of Isaiah that was written over 200 years before the time of Jesus. And Isaiah has so many prophecies. And they compared what we had at that time in the book of Isaiah and compared it to what was in the Dead Sea Scrolls. And there was only minute little things that, that were different, but nothing that we lost the meaning of. You know what God said? Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word's going to stand forever. If you can believe a God who created the earth, raised Jesus from the dead, can't you believe that he can also protect his word? We have not. It, we, it's without error. And the third thing is, it's the final authority. We would never place any of man's writings or church's edicts or whatever equal to or above the Word of God. The Word of God is the final authority. Not our culture, 
not any political party. The Word of God is the final authority. That's what we base our lives on. So you can be secure in the Word of God. You get outside the Word of God, now what you have is man's interpretation, man's ideas and opinions and so forth. Let's keep going. Verse 37. Do not believe me unless I do the works of my Father. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. What is Jesus saying there? He's saying, I've made a lot of claims. You, you may not believe my claims, but you see very visible the works that I'm doing. These works of healing the blind and the deaf and the lame and, and, and all this type of stuff that he's doing. And, and the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about even a bigger one. He's saying, if you don't believe, believe the works. And what's important is you see that the Father is in Jesus and Jesus is in the Father, that unity, part of the Trinity there. Now, I was really thinking about this. I was thinking, what, what, how does this relate? Can I give an analogy of today? Well, I tell you what. When I like to shop, I like to do it online. Any online shoppers out there? I don't really care to go to a store. And I love where I, a lot of stuff I can get next day. So, But here's the thing. I will do a little research, too. So I see a company has a product they're selling that I want, and I read their claims, their information. But then I take it one step further. I want to look at the verified customer reviews. Anybody like that out there? I want to see what do people say about it. Do the claims match up with, with uh, the real-life uh, uh, experience of customers? So that's what Jesus is saying right here. Look at the reviews. Look at the works that I'm doing. If you, can, if you can see these things, don't you think my claims are actually true? Because if you buy a product and you say, man, they have a lot of great experience about it, it must be right. One just recent one that we did, I didn't share this in the other services, but man, I've been watching these things about these Giza dream sheets. Anybody seen the Giza? Man, we got to have those. Best night's sleep ever. Yeah, you read, we got them. Love my new sheets. Oh, man. And I don't get a cut off of any of that stuff, too. But um, they're not cheap, but they are very nice sheets. So here's the thing. Uh, you can see it on the screen. The works of Jesus verify his words. And throughout the Bible, we see the works of Jesus and it should help us to understand the words that go along with it. Now let's keep going. Verse 39 says, And they tried to seize him, but he escaped through their grasp. You know, that happened other times too, where they tried to, to take Jesus down. They tried to arrest him and, and stone him or do whatever, but they couldn't. He escaped their grasp. I remember one time in Scripture, they were ready to throw him over a hill. And he just slipped through the crowd, it says. Which leads us to our last point of the four for related to be secure and insecure world. And that, that's this. Be secure in God's timing and protection. It wasn't Jesus' time yet. Now, there would come, in a few months later, 
We're going to get there when we get to uh, Jesus in that final week before the, the uh, crucifixion. He laid his life down. He allowed himself to be arrested because it was the right time. This wasn't the right time. And I like this verse in 2 Thessalonians 3.3. 3. It says, But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. I don't know about you, but why do we fear? Do we believe the Word of God? And we talk about standing on the Word of God, being secure in the Word of God. Right here, it tells us he's faithful. We can know that he's going to strengthen us, and he is going to protect us from the evil one. Why is that helpful? Because I don't have to live my life in fear. I don't have to limit what I do in life like, oh, I can't do that because I'm, I'm afraid. You know, first time when we went to Israel, I remember people telling us, you're going to Israel? Why are you going to Israel? That's too dangerous over there. You know, and I, I, I've started telling people this. I said, you know what? You're safer in Israel in the will of God than you are out on I-95 outside the will of God. Am I right? And you may be even safer in Israel outside the will of God than you are on I-95. I don't know. <laughs> it's a dangerous place, too. But we have to trust that God is protecting us. If we're his children, if he's his sheep, he's on the control switch. He's not going to be sleeping at the wheel. Now, we don't want to do anything foolish. We don't want to take life into our own hands and do things outside of his will. But the important thing is staying in the will of God and then just trusting him. Don't live in fear. Now, there will come a time when every one of us will at some point in time depart unless the Lord comes back in our lifetime. The Bible says there's a day to be born and a day to die. I don't know what that day that is, but why do I want to live my life in fear until that day comes? And if it comes next week or if it comes 40 years from now, let him decide that. You be faithful and trust that he is faithful. Amen? Amen. Verse 40. Then Jesus went back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing in the early days. There he stayed, and many people came to him, and they said, Though John never performed a sign, all that John said about this man was true. And in that place, many believed in Jesus. You know, in, in, uh, it's interesting there what the people were saying about John the Baptist. In uh, Matthew 11, Jesus said, There's no greater prophet born among woman, women than John. But look what it says there. John didn't do any signs. He didn't do any miracles. It actually gives me great hope. You know, God's not calling for us to be superstar Christians, doing all these miracles and so forth. What was the ministry of John? Pointing people to Jesus. And you see the last point up on the screen is our greatest ministry is pointing people to Jesus. Not to this church, not to a pastor, pointing people to Jesus. It's all about a relationship with Jesus. He's the one who's the source of our security. He's the one who gives us our salvation. He's the one who gives us wisdom for living our life. Everything is about him. We point people to Jesus. And then watch him work. Watch him change. I've been a follower of Jesus now for 41 years. And I've seen God do one thing after another in my life and how he's used me and so forth. But I know it's not me. I hope I'm not up here in my own strength and power today. That it's all about Jesus. Not ever drawing attention to ourselves. It's always about him.
We're going to pray. In a moment, we're going to take communion. And communion is to remember what Jesus did for us. And uh, if you're not a believer yet in Jesus, I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray here in a moment. Don't take communion if you're not a follower of Jesus. But let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you that uh, you want us to be secure in our relationship with you, that we're in your hands and we're in the hands of Jesus. Help us to be more and more on fire for you. Help us to abide in you, Lord Jesus, as we seek more and more to know you in relationship and that our relationship with you is always comes ahead of our serving of you. Help us to trust your word, to base our life on your word, that you, you validated your word even with miracles. And Lord, give us that ministry of pointing people to Jesus, that you've put us in this world for such a time as this, and you've put people around us to point people to Jesus. Help us to be on mission. And while heads are bowed, I'm just going to ask those of you that, that, are, that are not secure, you're not maybe sure if you have a relationship with Jesus, or you've wandered away some way, and you want to pray, you want to invite Jesus Christ to be, you want to surrender your life to Jesus today, I'm just going to ask that you raise your hand up high. I'm going to pray for you right there in your seat. Just raise your hand up high. So I look around. You're not joining the church. We don't even have membership here. You're saying yes to Jesus. I need that type of relationship with Jesus. Okay? Others. In the balcony. You're saying yes to Jesus right now. The Holy Spirit's speaking to you, saying, I know I need to raise my hand up. I need, yes, okay, another one. Others. Okay, you can put your hands down, okay? Good. Let me just lead you in this prayer. It's not about the exact words of this prayer, but it's about the meaning of it in your heart to the Lord. Just pray this under your breath. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus. Jesus, thank you for going to the cross for my sins and raising from the dead. I put my faith and trust in you. Forgive me now of all my sins. I want to be your sheep and you be my shepherd. And I want to follow you in relationship from this day forward. So send your Holy Spirit to live in me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.